0: Hey everybody, today your talks for episode 77 of the podcast and hi there. Welcome back, Um, and apologies. Let me start out by apologizing for being so late. Normally I try to get the podcast up in the first week of the month, but this month of October is always a tough one because it's Essence Spiel time. And in a year like this, when Essence Spiel comes early, I'm trying like crazy to squeeze as many Essence Spiel games uh, onto the table and in front of the camera before the convention actually starts. So the podcast got pushed back a little ways, but hopefully it was worth the wait. We got a whole bunch of questions. Although, if you have sent a question to questions at rotto.com and you're not going to hear it in this podcast, that's because I'm only going through the questions that came in during the month of September. Uh, So I've already got a whole ton of questions that have come in after October 1st. Those will appear in November's podcast episode, which should show up in the first week as always. So don't worry, folks. If you already asked a question and I don't answer it today, I will be soon. And for if you haven't asked any questions, by all means do. This podcast doesn't exist without the questions from viewers and or listeners like yourself. Okay, I think that's all the preamble we need to go over today. Uh, So how about we start answering those questions right after this? you. Yeah. Okay, everybody, it is time for the questions. First, it's going to be a whole bunch of gaming stuff. That's probably what over half this podcast is going to be. I'll cover a bunch of them, and then Jen will eventually join me for some game-related stuff that I think she might be able to weigh in on. And then after that, we'll end out with the personal stuff, as always. So let's get going. We have Matilda up first, who uh, is uh, very happy with her purchase of Furnace. I agree. Furnace is fantastic. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Uh, until it points out that she knows that the European edition, that it doesn't mention Russia specifically anymore in the rules. So it's just more of kind of a, a broad age of industry setting rather than Russia specifically. And the characters have changed. What do I think of the choices? I think it's fantastic. I don't know if you knew, but uh, according to my contacts at Arcane Wonders, it's the fact that I mentioned the... Uh, the, you know, I, I, I guess you could say I complained a bit uh, about how it was just what was it four white guys and one white dude. And I'm like, well, you didn't have to limit it to that. You could have been a bit more broad, a bit more inclusive. And it was me bringing that up in my run through last year that prompted the change, which I'm very proud of. I'm I'm really really happy that I can in some small way make a a a change to make games more broadly uh, inviting and appealing. And I, I'm so I'm really happy with the change. Now let's see, and then you say since you uh, since I invite him for a top ten, uh, Matilda has checked out Jason Perez's work and um, it, you know, the perspective he gives. I agree, Jason is fantastic, definitely worth subscribing. Uh, if you can find him, you go to YouTube and search for Shelf Stories. You will find his channel. He is always uh, you know talking about really interesting, really important uh, um, topics related to the board game industry, man, and just life in general. I, I just think the guy is fantastic. Fantastic. Anyway, Matilda continues. Thanks to him, uh, she's discovered uh, and th- thoroughly fast the, fir- the thoroughly fascinating work of Tanya Paduba, uh, which makes Matilda wonder: Could I ever invite her on a top ten? And what top ten would that be? I don't know. I do not know the works of Tanya uh, Paduba. I guess that must have been somebody that uh, Jason talked to earlier, and I didn't see it. Let me go on ahead and do a YouTube search for Jason, uh, or I'm not, not Jason, uh, Tanya. Uh, Paduba. All right. She has a channel. Uh, she doesn't have very many subscribers. Quick demo of Zapworks AR Alt- or, you know, augmented reality studio, Bradley tabletop symposium rehearsal, uh, print and play games and narrative catalysts. All right. Podcasting quick start. All right. There's some interesting stuff here. I'll have to go check this out myself. What the heck? I'll go ahead and subscribe right now. Although I'm afraid I cannot answer your question. I don't know. Although, actually, what I can say is. Uh, There's basically a change. Um, Let's see, what was the last crossover uh, I did? It was with... Oh, man. I've done so many of them over the last year. So many people coming on. Let's see, we did Thinker Themer, and then... Oh, now that's going to drive me nuts. Rotto Top 10 Playlist. Just doing a quick Google search for this. Oh, I'm going to be so embarrassed when I do not remember that the most recent... Uh, top 10 I did was, oh my gosh, I'm failing. I can't find anything. My Google search, my Google foo is failing. All right. I will go to my own YouTube studio. I will look it up there. Normally that playlist comes up when I do a Google search in the past. I'm surprised it didn't. But anyway, um, top 10, the most recent top 10 uh, collaboration I did was (laughs) with um, The DTT. Uh, yep. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Oh, so the most recent one I did was a top ten solo revisit with Thinker Themer. Okay, I was thinking there was one I'd done more recently since then, but nope. It was a Thinker Themer, or specifically uh, Maggie uh, with Thinker Themer, and that was great. It's probably gonna be the last one I do, quite frankly, because moving forward, I think the RNR show is gonna be the source of top 10 topics that I'll be doing just every week. Another top 10 topic with Ruel Gaviola. I have to admit, while I've had an amazing time over the last year, uh, you know, working with all these other folks. It's a lot of work to coordinate with their schedule and you know record both of us and then put it all together in a in a in a, in a nice video and I've had a great time doing it. But moving forward, I think it's I'm really going to be focusing on the weekly top tens with Ruel. So I do not know if I'd be doing a collaboration with Tanya anytime soon. But I do thank you for pointing her out. I'm definitely going to check out her stuff. If you like it. I'm definitely intrigued as well. All right, and while Matilda's here, uh, she also asks, recently received through Patreon—thank uh, you for supporting the show, uh, Matilda— an RSS link, which was for audio podcast. You add it to the app, but only shows one old episode. All right, I don't understand what the—okay, so I understand what this is. Basically, uh, if, if you still have the email that uh, that you got with the notification, uh, good— Basically, you need to... Oh, what is it? Delete the, uh, that, that new... It's called the RPP, the Rotto Patreon Podcast. It's for backers like yourself who uh, subscribe to the show. And if you remove it and then re-add it, uh, it will show up the correct feed. I think when that email first went out, the, the feed was a little messed up. I did a, I did do a post later on telling folks uh, what you have to do to add it. There's actually a whole page for it on Patreon. Basically, if you're a subscriber on Patreon, it, there's, I have the monthly ramble video, which is every month I... It's basically a video log, a vlog. I, I talk about all kinds of stuff. I do extra top tens, and I I do deep dives. I revisit old topics. Uh, sometimes I do solo playthroughs, all kinds of things. Cool. And um, uh, enough folks have requested, so I've started turning that into a podcast so you can listen to it when you're on the road or out walking or doing the dishes or whatever instead of being tied to YouTube. So that's what that link is for. Depending on the level you back me on Patreon, uh, you'll get the rambles and potentially the gen jogs, where Jen does her summary of how she felt about all the games we played. Um, And I might put some more stuff on there eventually. But you're seeing an old out-of-date video, because when I first set it up, I goofed up. There was the wrong link. If you remove it and then re-add it, you should see the correct links in your podcast viewer. So sorry for the confusion there. If If it doesn't make sense, contact me on Patreon, and I'll follow up and see what's going on. Okay. Anyway, now let's move on to Matthew, who has recently mentioned, um, or, or uh, Matt points out that I recently mentioned that I think GameFound is the better option for crowdfunding board games and will eventually be the go-to choice over Kickstarter. I, I can certainly see that happening, but it'll be years. I mean, Kickstarter has such a uh, a lead. But anyway... Uh, Matthews uh, pledged a few times on Kickstarter, but never GameFound. Why do I think GameFound is a better choice? Well, first of all, I'm only talking about from the perspective of the end user. I, I believe it is better for actual publishers as well, but I don't have any um, inside baseball information there. It is just I, it is just a more pleasant site to use. Uh, I mean, one thing, a simple little thing. You know, I mean, Kickstarter pages, when you look at them, they're ridiculously long. Usually with like 10 or 12 sections, and if you're trying to find something, it's just... Uh God awful. Um, you know, Gamefound has the same basic overall structure, one long page, full of stuff, but on every page, over on the left side, there's a table of contents. So you can just click and go directly to the section you want to go to. Just that little thing! It's a tiny little thing, but it makes it so much more usable. Um, But that's just the start. It's much more flexible the way publishers can set stuff up so that you can do... If you want to get multiple copies of a game, you can pledge multiple times. Like, you want to get one for yourself and one for a friend or something like that on Kickstarter, you have to literally create a dummy Kickstarter account to be able to pledge on something a second time. Uh, They can do things like uh, being able to handle add-ons directly on the page. You're, You're not just limited. I mean, there's just overall... Uh, it's it's a more pleasant experience. it's a better user interface when um, you know before the games have launched on Kickstarter, all you get is just like a little one paragraph and a picture and you can say notify me on launch on um, on Gamefound on the pre-launch there's actually a discussion forum. you can ask publishers questions. it'll say when it's going to launch. there's videos you can watch. everything about it is superior and that's because Gamefound was created by the folks at awakened Realms and awakened Realms have been doing board game Kickstarters for years. They've been running these Kickstarters, they've been hearing from their backers, here's what we hate! And so they made a platform that works 10,000 times better. Uh, Check it out. Uh, I mean, it's even easier just to find new games. Uh, On Kickstarter, if you want to see what's coming up, you got to go through all these little things and and search by magic. Literally, magic. Whereas on GameFound, when you first go there, there's, here's everything that's live now, here's everything that's coming. It's just, everything about it is just a smoother, easier experience. And so I hope, given time, it will take over. Maybe it won't, uh, because Kickstarter, again, it just it really kind of has a chokehold on the industry. But, I mean, GameFound is, is it is just a superior product all around. I definitely find myself enjoying my use of that website more than Kickstarter. Although, don't get me wrong, I'm incredibly thankful to Kickstarter for everything it's done for the industry. It's made so many games come true that never would have happened. It's, you know, it's kept publishers afloat. It's it's the best. Uh, um it's just, I hope more than anything else, GameFound is a threat to Kickstarter, so Kickstarter uh, um, may has to start, you know, updating itself, becoming a more user-friendly service as well. Anyway, next up, Matthew says on the last RR show. I mentioned Pandemic, Fall of Rome, as one of my want-to-play-it-right-now games. Yeah. Uh, Matthew owns both Pandemic and Fall of Rome, and prefers Fall of Rome for both the theme and the gameplay. In fact, given everything the world's been through for the last couple of years, Matthew doesn't know they'd ever want to play the original Pandemic again. It reminds him too much of the real thing. So the question is, has the COVID pandemic impacted my desire to play the original Pandemic at all? No, not really. Um, I totally understand that. I think that's a completely reasonable response that you've got there. But um, if you want to know more about my feelings, uh, April or May of last year, I did a run-through for... um, Where is it? Right here. Pandemic Hot Zone. And I'm hoping to cover Pandemic Hot Zone uh, two. first one was North America, second one is Europe. Pretty soon, because I just got it just the other day. But anyway, um, when I did the final thoughts for Pandemic Hot Zone North America, I talked about why... For me, I look at the Pandemic franchise as a game that is a celebration of some of the greatest heroes our world knows. People who are out there fighting every day to save us from COVID. So I look at it as a positive thing, as an upbeat thing, as a way to fight back and take control. And so, I mean, that's just my perspective. I totally understand your perspective. makes total sense. Either way, Pandemic, Fall of Rome is amazeballs, um, regardless of how you come down on um, regular pandemic. Okay, next up, we have something from Gerard. Actually, we have a bunch of stuff. I actually had a bunch of emails from um, folks, and I tried to condense them all just into one section, so this might seem a little scattershot. Oh, and also, I should apologize. uh, Gerard and Gerald, two of my most frequent uh, questioners to questions at rotto.com over the years, I think when I was doing copying and pasting and putting all the stuff into one one file. I might have mixed you two up a few times, uh, so there might be some Gerald questions that came from Gerard and vice versa. I apologize, guys. I so appreciate both of you long-term fans always asking great questions. Uh, But I was actually putting together this master list last night while we were watching TV, and I think I may have screwed up a few times. But anyway, let's continue. Gerard says, hello, Rado Gerard here, Uh, because he knows I've mixed the two of them up so often. Um, The names are so close. All right, anyway. Uh, Gerard liked my run-through of Whirling Witchcraft. I ran through the whole game, which was nice. Yeah, doesn't happen very often, but sometimes I can make it happen on a quick game. And one of the reasons I don't keep on going, once I've gotten far enough to where I feel like I've demonstrated all the core mechanisms and a player, the viewer, I should say, has a pretty good idea of the game, I'm ready to move on, because the longer I tend to play honestly, the more I tend to screw up. And um, the more I get mentally fatigued trying to balance two players in my head at once. And I know it drives Paulo crazier and crazier, as he just has to keep on cleaning up my messes. And um, anyway, though, so continuing. Uh, yeah, back to World of Witchcraft. Fast little game? It's possible it could be a mini gateway engine builder. All right. In the game Celestia, I had uh, little game sheets laminated for each player to reference the specialty cards, which I don't know why I just did that. What uh, That could probably help with this game. That's true, yes. One of the things I complained about Whirling Witchcraft is... Oh my gosh. It's a great little game, but they really messed up on the lack of player... There's kind of a player aid, but it doesn't actually aid you with what you really need. Uh, Big uh, misstep from AEG, who normally gets this stuff right. Although, interestingly, as I understand it, I believe AEG has now released a promo you can pick up at expansions or at, at, at conventions for Whirling Witchcraft. And the promo is the player aid that should have come in the original box. So I'm sure reprints of Whirling Witchcraft somewhere down the road will have those. And I bet you, anything, you can contact AEG and get um, a set of those uh, uh, player aids. Anyway, but anyway, Gerald's question, Gerard's question, is, are there any other games that I think could also have better reference sheets? Oh, probably... <sighs> Honestly, it's not very hard to get a reference sheet right. I mean, all they're there to do is just. I mean, from my perspective, I mean, there's a lot they could do, and 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 certainly there are games that overdo it, that um you know throw too much information. They need to be there m- for my uh, money as a, a quick and easy reference of the overall, the big picture stuff. I don't expect reference sheets to be able to deal with every little you know, persnickety rule here or there. I just want them to... Okay, mostly, I just need to remind myself of the structure. How does this game work? Right. Okay, we do this mode, then we do this mode, then we do this phase. Um, what is the, What are all the things I can do when it's my turn? Okay, yeah, here's the list of the six different commands I can choose from. It's honestly not that hard to get it right. The main way you can get it wrong is just not to include them in the first place. And there are plenty of games. In fact, I would almost go so far, most games, even simple games, at the very least, should have... I mean, you know, Pandemic has always had player aids, and that's a really simple core game. Four actions, they even put that on the board, but they list all those actions on the card. It's not that hard to get it right, and yet publishers do. All right, anyway though, um, uh, Gerard continues, never been to Las Vegas. I was wondering, uh, for Dice Tower West in March, when's the best time to go? Near the beginning or near the end of the convention? Uh, when will we be there? Be nice to say hi. It'll be great to say, I'm glad to hear you're going to be there. It'll be nice to say hi. Please introduce yourself as Gerald instead of Gerard, or vice versa. Ah! Anyway, um, I've been to Dice Tower West a few times now, it doesn't really matter. Jen and I will be there all for the entirety. I think it's four days, right? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We will be there the whole time. I'm easy to find. I will be at Jen's a Gamer Glass booth. I pretty much just sit there at a table and play games with whoever walks by. If they've got a game I want to play or if I want a game I want to play with people, I'm looking for people to play games with. And uh, Jen just basically sets aside a portion of her booth for me to just sit there and hang out. And if Jen has to go to the bathroom, I uh, do temporary booth duty and stuff like that. Um, as for your question about when's the best time to go, uh, I, about the only thing I would really say on that, I think there are some events, and you could just look on the website if there's an event you want to see. You know, like, uh, you know, Dice Tower does a live, uh, you know, Tom and Co. Do a, do, a, do a live broadcast, and there's very similar things like that. So, get if you want to see those events, get there on those days. That aside, I would say the main thing is on the last day on the sunday if you want to go there to shop that's the worst day to do it because on sunday all the retails and believe me i know this cuz i basically spend the entire time in the retail area they are all exhausted sunday is the uh, you know the it seems like it has the 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 least uh, what do you call it? Footfall. The, the least amount of potential customers. And so, often, they're not supposed to, but they're going to be shutting down. And you might have... Plus, of course, anything they had is going to be sold out, potentially, if there's any hot stuff. So, I mean, I think overall, you're better off going earlier in the week. But, I mean, a big question is, is there anything else you want to do while you're in Vegas besides just this convention? And, of course, then that's going to... you know Are there shows you want to see? or Do they play on the weekends? There's going to be all those kinds of questions as well. Um, usually, in my experience, the first day and the last day are the least busy. So if you're looking for fewer crowds, if you want, um... Although I don't imagine it's gonna be very crowded this year. They're moving to a new venue. It's bigger. We you have to expect there are gonna be fewer people coming than normal because, you know, the ongoing pandemic issue. But um, you know, usually it's busiest on the Friday and the Saturday. You know, the the middle is um, you know, when when things are busiest. If there's stuff you wanna buy and you're afraid it's gonna sell out, you should get there sooner. And um otherwise, really it's just gonna be those events. That would be my main answer for that. Okay. Next up, you point out that in episode 76, I mentioned. How I didn't watch any board games on TikTok. No. I've tried several times. Uh, You know, I keep hearing how great the TikTok algorithm is. It hasn't recommended anything I care about. Um... And, uh, and interestingly, I mean, the, you know, the only things that are on TikTok that I know of, that I care about, those people end up posting on YouTube anyway. They'll often do compilations of all the TikTok stuff they did. Like Brock Baker is a, uh, a voice actor and a, an impersonation, uh, guy. And I really love his comedy. Apparently he lives on TikTok, but like once a month he puts all his TikTok stuff on YouTube. So I just catch it there. Um, but anyway... Your question is, how did I come across one-minute board games uh, with the lady who creates them? I'm sorry, I'm not sure of her name. I'm not sure either. There's actually two different one-minute... Uh, there's board games in a minute and one-minute board game. They're pretty much the, almost the exact same. They uh, both uh, are, are are run by uh, women. And um, how did I discover them? Because you're right. I did. And TikTok did not serve them up to me. Facebook probably did. Facebook recommend, rec- makes recommendation. Facebook knows to recommend board game content to me, because I watch a lot of board game content on YouTube. So I occasionally find new stuff like that. I, may, I Probably I saw them on Board Game Geek, because I spent a lot of time on Board Game Geek. But honestly, I couldn't tell you how I stumbled across them. Alrighty, righty. <clears throat> do I have Lords of Waterdeep still on my shelf? Yes, I do. It's up there, I think. Not that you can see it, and of course it's behind other boxes. But yes, I do. I still have Lara Deep. I don't think I'd ever get rid of that one. How do I store it? I do store it um, lying flat like a regular game, um, because I, in the box I've got it and all the expansions. Actually, I don't have the Lords of Waterdeep box upon my shelf. I have the expansion box, Skulls and something or other, or whatever it was called. And um, I've got everything kind of squeezed down into that. I do leave it flat. But that's because I'm pretty sure I did a run-through many years ago for um, these foam core inserts. Let me see if I can find that. Roto inserts. Who are they by? Uh, oh, oh, here's all the ones that... Um, um, Paula did. Paulo did a whole series of insert videos from Meeple... Meeple reality, I think, if I recall correctly, and I did one once. Who was it? all right? I, I, I see if I can find it. Insert me, I think that's what it was. I think it was insert me. That's starting to come back. I can't find anything. My my Google foo is failing. Insert me. Will that show up? No, was, all the the fifty bajillion um ones that Paulo did. Rotto, insert dot me. Insert here. Yes, not insert me. Insert. Here, that's what it was. And if you go do a do a Google search for oh, you shut up uh, for Rado insert here. I don't even remember who did these inserts. For some reason, I want to say they were associated with the with the Dice Tower, but it's been so long. I mean, I did this back in 2014. But you can see in that if you watch that video exactly how I have all of of uh, Lords of Waterdeep compressed down into my Scoundrels at Skullport box. I'm looking at it right now and I can actually show you if you're watching on YouTube. You know, there it is. And, um, and if I recall, it was a very good insert. I had it for uh, Lords of Waterdeep. I also had one for Escape. And I've, I've, I think I mentioned the Escape and the Lords of Waterdeep one in this video. But you can see more about it there. And I imagine there's links for it in the show notes of that if you want to know more about that storage solution. Okie doke. Boop. Let's move on. All right. Um... Oh, I've forgotten. Is it Gerald or Gerard? right. right, we're on Gerard. Uh, Gerald's coming next. Uh, so Gerard dis- likes to display, like I do, his games as books. But the only game he has to worry about is Lords of R.D. because the box is so wonky looking. Oh, that's right. Yes, the original box had that weird thing where it only, like, half closes. My suggestion, buddy, if that's your problem get Scoundrels of Skullport and stuff everything in there, because that's a regular box. Um, but anyway, I, get, I finally got to your question. Would I suggest uh, the tape that only sticks to the tape like you were mentioning? in um, when, Yeah, that's uh, Hugo's tape. That's a really great system to use. But I don't think you need it. I think you need to get Scoundrels of Skullport. If you love Lords of Waterdeep that much, you must have Scoundrels of Skullport, and everything fits in there. So just go with that. All righty, Gerard then continues, was wondering, and this is from different emails, How did I get my name out there when I first started Rotto Runs Through? Well, it was a very different time when I first started Rotto Runs Through. Um, I think I'm on year nine, and there were not very many people doing stuff. What did I do? The order of events was, I'd already been thinking about doing it. And then I saw a thread about Helvetia... And somebody in the thread said, Boy, I wish there was a video for Helvetia. And um, uh, Joel Eddy, who is still a great, great... Uh, he doesn't do as much as he did back in the day, but it's, I, I still subscribe. It's always great whenever he does a new video. Joel said, I don't know. I don't have a copy. Maybe someday when I get it. And I said, I'll do it. And I was just a nobody at the time. And so I put that video up, and then I posted in that thread, Okay, I did it. Here it is. And I added it to YouTube and all of that. And so um, fans of Helvetia... Certainly saw that, and that was probably about it. And then I thought, well, okay, I could keep doing this. And the first thing I did is I went to the uh, board game forum, I think just the general games forum, and I said, Hey everybody, I put up my first video. I'm trying to figure out what my next video is. And I literally did a poll of all the games. I mean, people who say, Ah, they can't stand that I have voters that choose what ge- of games I cover. I've literally been doing it since, since my first five videos were all chosen by viewers. I've always been about responding to what viewers want me to cover since the very, very beginning. But anyway, so I did a poll that said, uh, Hey, i all these games. Who who wants to see what? And then I did it again. I think I ultimately I did that two or three times. And um, I do think it helped. It's I mean because after I did the poll and people voted, when I was done, I I posted the video on Board Game Geek, but then I also posted back in that thread. And so uh, you know the people who voted on it saw that. And uh, but again, you know at this time there were not very many videos being put on Board Game Geek. But that's really all I did. I put the video on YouTube. I put the video on board game geek. I didn't post it to social media or anything like that Facebook, Twitter, um, all the rest of it and I just very very slowly grew. Hold on a second now I'm curious how slowly did I grow? Let me see if I can find some stickety stats about that. Um, let's see I I if, I if I go to analytics and then I go to audience, Or or how do I see subscribers? The analytics, uh, I mean, it's very thorough. There's an amazing amount of stuff that you can see. But um, I always have a hard time figuring out exactly what it is I'm looking for. Hold on. Ah, I give up. I tried. It is very difficult to try to wrangle the analytics beast to the ground. Um, But suffice to say, I grew very, very slowly. And um, one big thing, one break I had was that I think a year after I'd started i did a video or no maybe it was still the same year i started the two big breaks i had one was penny arcade mentioned me because i did i for the heck of it i did a little i mid, i did my own print and play of ground floor which was on kickstarter from tasty minstrel at the time and i wanted to play it so i printed it out just so i knew if i wanted to back it and i figured what the heck i'll film it and penny arcade liked it and said hey this guy really helped me out and that was a big burst and the other big burst I had was being the first channel to cover Zulk in the mine counter, because I picked it up at Essen Spiel because I was uh, it was very easy for me to get to Essen, and uh, you know those two things really helped. So I you know if you want to take from my experience the two biggest things were get uh, you know I. I, I didn't collaborate with Penny Arcade, but it was the same in effect. So, if you're starting out and you can collaborate with a bigger channel, or you can get a bigger channel to say, Hey, about you, I guess that helps. I mean, I didn't seek it out, I just got lucky. And, um, you know, please don't start pestering me or Rodney Smith or, Hey, uh, you know, actually, what I always recommend, I, okay, I don't know why I'm t- talking so vague about my experience. Here's what I always recommend to anybody who asks, Hey, how can I get my channel? How can I give it a bump start? I had that bump start from Penny Arcade, Dice Tower. Could potentially give you a big jump start as well, because Tom Vassell is always looking for new contributors to the Board Game Breakfast Show, and um, so contact—I mean, I uh, contact him. I guarantee you, what he'll say is, "Hey, send me in a thirty-second promo clip of what you would do." Send him that. If he likes it, he'll put you on the show that will be seen every week by thousands of people. On that little thing, you could then mention somewhere, hey, I've got my own channel, check out more here, blah, blah, blah. Um, And be interesting and compelling and put content on the board game breakfast that people want to see, and then they'll seek you out. And then the other thing that, again, taken from my own experience that helped a lot was cover something nobody else is covering that everybody wants to see. I know it's part of the problem. Means we're all in a race for the hotness. We're all racing to try to be the first to cover the new cool games that are out there. But you know what? That's that is that is the nature of the beast. And um, if uh, you know, certainly a big thing is. Uh, cover games that are on Kickstarter because people are desperate for an idea of whether they should back. You know, it's a big commitment and um, there's nothing stopping you. Even if you're not... I mean, me, I do paid previews for Kickstarter stuff now. There is nothing stopping you from finding whatever really cool, new, hot Kickstarter game there is or game found since you mentioned that earlier, that has a Tabletopia or Tabletop Simulator mod that's available. Get that, learn how to play it, play it, and then record yourself playing it. You don't need to get a prototype like I did or print it all out for yourself like I did back in the day. The publishers are making it easy for you to create that content. Now, if you want a suggestion for how to make... Because I've nobody does this. It drives me crazy. It drives me batty that um, people who decide to film themselves playing something on Tabletopia or Tabletop Simulator, they, they are constantly making their videos unwatchable by treating it like, oh, I'm just actually giving you a video of what it's like to play on Tabletop Simulator or Tabletopia. Don't do that. Don't constantly be zooming the camera in and out and dragging around and reminding people that they're looking at a video game rather than A game, here's what you do. Find a game that's hot, that people want to know about, get it on Tabletopia or Tabletop Simulator, and when you fire it up and you're going to do your your gameplay demonstration of the game, create six or seven preset cameras. And get yourself a little wireless keyboard like I do, or heck, even a wired keyboard, it doesn't matter, and just say, oh, when I push 4, that is the overhead view of the whole board. And when I push 5, that's the, um, the zoomed-in view of my board and the zoomed-in view of your board and the zoomed-in view of the uh, scoreboard and the zoomed-in view of all the cards. And so when you go to draft another card, don't drag your mouse over there and zoom in and all that and make people not want to watch and because you're reminding them that they're watching a video game. Just hit 6 and the game will just snap over to that. And it feels more like a traditional camera cut. It has the potential to seem really polished. I believe on both platforms, you can actually fix it so that you can get rid of the camera zoom so it's just in one frame, snaps the other place. So it just feels like you've done camera cuts. Do that. Make yourself look polished and present um you know, and professional. Cover a really hot game um this on Kickstarter that you know everybody's talking about, and keep doing that. And if you can do that and show that you are well spoken, that you're giving people valuable information that will help them make decisions about what games they want to back, Before too long, you'll probably be able to contact Pops and say, hey, uh, here's a whole series of games I've done. You can see they're getting um, hundreds of views, maybe someday thousands of views, and um, you could then parlay that into, uh, for my next one, I'd really like to do this with a real game. Although, heck, maybe you don't even have to. Maybe things are going to change. I I keep waiting for somebody to do it right. These are incredibly powerful tools, Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia, um, to be able to make You know, studio grade high quality productions and nobody does it. Everybody just keeps looking really sloppy and crappy by zooming in and zooming out and mouse dragging all over the place. Don't do that. If you're the first to do it, other people will start copying you when we realize that, oh, people actually enjoy watching that. I mean, you can set up really cool, interesting dynamic angles. It doesn't have to be just the static overhead looking down, thereby making it look like a video game again. Make it look like you're actually sitting at the table. Have a whole bunch of different shots. That's, I guess, what I would suggest you do at this point. All right. There you go. Um, Kind of making it up as I go, but I think that would be really cool. I would certainly like to see it. And it won't cost you anything because it's all free. Uh, All righty. You don't have to invest. I mean, get a good microphone. That's about it. I mean, by good microphone, I mean like you know, a, a twenty-dollar lapel mic that you can clip to your to to your shirt collar. That's good enough. That's what I used for years in Malta. It's that's fine. You don't have to invest in some three hundred-dollar super crazy condenser mic or anything like that. A good cheap lapel mic is all you need, and uh, and you're you're off to the races. But anyway, now we're done with Gerard. We're moving on to Gerald. Hey, buddy. Gerald wonders, do I mind if somebody posts one or two screenshots um, of my Patreon not-yet-public run-throughs on Facebook or BoardGameGeek and mentions there's a sneak preview Would I have a problem? Yeah, I got no problem with that. That's totally cool. If the publisher's fine with it, I'm sure they would be too. It's just nothing but promotional stuff. Yeah, I, I've got no problem with that at all. Um, you know, getting people. I mean, because often, I mean, for no, if you if you back me on Patreon at the resident level, which I think is three dollars a month, I'm pretty sure for three dollars a month, you get to see all of my videos days, weeks, or even months early with no ads. And so, hey, uh, I, I I'm totally happy if you want to spread that love, Gerald. I very much appreciate the uh, thought. Next up, what is my favorite mechanism in Eleven, the football manager game? Let's see... My favorite mechanism... Uh, I need to think about the game. Because, I've obviously, I haven't thought about it now for months. Because I covered it months ago. Or even a month ago. i probably played two dozen games since then. And I've filmed them. Right. All I can think about when I think of Eleven is the, the, the football minigame. And that was not my favorite. I thought that was fine. Uh, but it's certainly not why I was there. What was the method... Oh, oh, oh! Okay, okay. It's coming back to me now. Right. The structure of the game was it takes place over eight weeks, and the first thing you do on Monday of the business week is you have the board meeting. I thought that I thought the board meeting was really cool, but I didn't love it because I mean it, it makes sense because I the board meeting is a. I have a board of directors that's not me, and I have to try to manipulate them. I would have liked to see that pushed a little bit harder, but I thought it was fine as it was. And then you get to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and that's when you're doing actions. And isn't it you should get a certain number of actions every turn? Man, I need to look now. I'm sorry. It's, do not take this as a, as a comment on the memorability of Eleven. I've probably played at least a dozen games since then, and I've had to excise all my memory of 11 to make room for the other ones. But let me, if I just look at my own video a little bit, and between you and me, um, uh, Gerald, I go back and watch my videos all the time to remind myself of stuff. Let's see here. Okay, so yeah, I'm just looking and I'm jumping into my video at the middle. I, I really like the way you trained people, I thought that was very good. I, I, I like the training and the, re- and the retirement. I'm probably going to say those are my favorite things. I really like that that whole uh, you know I've really put a lot of um, uh, you know training into you to get you good. um, But now that uh, you uh, but then when when they become old you know not old when they become senior stars um, and you're 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 incentivized to retire them because they had their one big burst and now they don't produce as well as they did when they were young. I thought all of that stuff was very very interesting. I really like that a lot. Um, and I, you know, I, I could imagine seeing that in all kinds of games, you know, just regular worker placement games where you make those investments in your workforce. And over time, um, you know, they, they they produce really, really well, but then as time goes on, they produce less, but they have different attributes and strengths. And eventually uh, you're incentivized to try to give them a good retirement. I mean, I've, I've seen other games that do retirement and I thought it was very, very cool the way it worked here. I'm going to say that was probably my favorite element of the game. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Okay. I don't know if that's uh, of any interest to anybody else, but uh, I'm curious what your favorite was, Gerald. All righty. Alexander Pfister said on BoardGameGeek that he's redesigning Mombasa without the horrible colonization scheme. Um, what would you... Oh, yeah. oh yeah, That's right. Yes. Yeah, so A completely rethinking it from the ground up. I wonder what it's going to be. Um, what would I like to see done differently or added to it to make it great for me and Jen? Don't say dogs and chickens. Gah! Dalton Chickens would be it. Okay, now, I haven't played Mombasa for years. I couldn't remember a game I played five weeks ago. You expect me to remember something I haven't played for years? Uh, but you know what I'll do. If I watch a little bit of my own video, it'll probably start coming back to me. Without looking, what I remember really digging about Mombasa was the card management, which ultimately Fister revisited and kind of did in a different way in um, Blackout Hong Kong, which I absolutely adored. So, uh, right. And honestly... You know that notion of the way deck building works—that you have like three different decks with the with the way you discard to them, with the timing and all of that—it's kind of starting to come back to me. Uh, yeah, I, that could be applied really to any kind of euro setting. The nice thing about euros is all euros are economic simulations. To me, that's what euro means—that we are trying to simulate some kind of economic. You know, and it doesn't have to be you know economics in terms of money. It could be economics in terms of social capital. But it is you know the um the the harvesting and uh, utilization of resources. That's what an economic. That's what economics are, and that's what euros are. And so that's why often it's not that big a deal because there are just these fundamental things, you know, laws of supply and demand and very similar things that just are universal no matter what simulation no matter what time frame you put it in. So, uh, now, of course, uh, Mombasa, a big part of it was area control stuff, too. And honestly, I don't even remember what I said about Mombasa, why we didn't keep it. I'd be willing to bet it was relatively cutthroat. I would have to go back and watch my final thoughts to remember what I even thought about it. It's been so long. And, 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 And like I said, after... Blackout Hong Kong came out, and Blackout took the coolest thing about that game, the way the uh, card deck building worked, and you know, put it into a very, very cool and fresh and different and unique setting. I completely excised Mombasa from my mind. I totally forgot about it. Um, so, to your question, what would I like to see done differently? Ah, oh, Gerald, you've got me at a disadvantage. I can't really say... Uh... I am, I'm glad it's getting um, rethemed to something that will be more broadly appealing and, and won't be quite so hurtful for people who, you know, who still live with the, with the ramifications and the fallout of, uh, of you know, the, you know, the era of colonization. To this day, it still negatively affects our lives. And so why try to make something fun out of that? I mean, I, I have no problem with that. I think it's great that it's going to be you know, repurposed into something that's just more uplifting for everybody. But I couldn't tell you what I'd be looking for. You know what? Uh, I want to answer those, so I'm going to pause for a sec. I'll be right back after having watched my final thoughts from December 2015. Okay, no, I'm not going to watch that. It's a half an hour long because I did a collaboration with Nicholas Ko, who is one of the few people I've ever um, done any kind of video with who are more um, bombastic and uh, you know long-spoken about games than I am. So I'm not going to watch that. But I did go back, and I, w- I went to gone.rada.com where I list the reasons I got rid of all games. And what I said about Mombasa, really smart melding of different mechanisms, too open and sandboxy for our taste. So, based on what my problem with it was, uh, while he's in the process of retheming it, I hope he puts a little bit more directed gameplay into it. More, you know, unique player powers or, um, you know, private objectives, private and public objectives that everybody can race for. A few little things like that will probably go a long ways. So, there we go. All righty, and then finally, Gerald says, uh, "How's the relaunch of the pirate game, uh, Plunderous, coming along? The one I helped co-design." Now. I can't say that I helped co-design. I, th- I think, I was, hopefully, I was fairly clear about that. I basically just gave a ton of feedback. A ton of feedback. And provided a lot of ideas. I mean, I gave a lot of feedback on the original 4X game. And then that kind of bled over into giving tons and tons of feedback and idea for, for the cooperative game as well. So much so that um, you know Andrew thought you know I mean I, he wanted to give credit where credit was due and I was like okay fine I I mean I, he did all the hard work he did all the balancing all the play testing I was just somebody who just like I you know I, I probably spent twenty hours in Skype conversations with him over the course of a year giving him ideas and feedback and because I mean, he'd always say, well I mean you play because I play. Hundreds of games, and so I've got an encyclopedic knowledge. Although I didn't prove that just now because I was forgetting about certain things, and um, so he was just asking for ideas and and um, all that. So I gave him a lot of stuff. So anyway, sorry, that's for folks who didn't know. Uh, Plunderous, you know, went on Kickstarter. What was it, October of last year? Didn't quite take off. It really poorly timed, and there were definitely some mistakes with the campaign. And so Andrew took it down and is revamping. He's in the process of making huge overhauls cuz there the if i recall correctly the main takeaways were um wow yeah that's longer than we want to play cuz it was like uh Twilight Imperium length or not quite that long but very long and uh, also people didn't quite think it was a good value for money the price he was asking and so he has been rejigging everything and that is still ongoing The I wish I could tell you the most exciting thing is uh, a month ago he ended up col- he started a collaboration with a very hot designer and I don't know if this is ever going to be publicly made because the two of them were kind of doing a tit for tat sort of thing um, you know uh, you know, an exchange of goods and services. So I don't know if this super hot designer is ever going to be properly credited, but um, you know they're going to be working on the solo mode together, and um, I you know and that and that will inevitably I think lead to more changes in the co-op mode. And I know a lot of the stuff that I pushed into the co-op mode has made it into the main game. So I mean, the, it's it's pr- he is practically working on Plunderous Two right now for all intents and purposes. I know he hopes to try to get it launched before the end of the year, but I know what a perfection he is i mean he had already worked on plunderous for like Almost a decade before he put it on uh, first time. I think he's going to work on it for a few more years before it comes back again. Sadly, uh, because I do think it's great and everything he's told me about. Because I am no longer putting 20 plus hours into feedback. I already gave. I did my time. But I, you know, I still talk to him about it every once in a while, and uh, I'm, I'm still very excited about it. I mean, some of the stuff that's changed, I think, is going to make it's a 4x game that Jen and I will enjoy playing. Which is, I think he's kind of given himself this goal. He's going to make me like it as a competitive game in addition to a co-op game. But it's still a way. Off, I'm afraid. All right, Alejandro says. Over the last year, since uh, our move back to the states, that we've dealt with delayed arrivals on some of our most anticipated S games. Definitely, I'm dealing with that right now. It is driving me nuts seeing everybody cover Golem except for me or Golem. Ugh! I was in my top 10 most anticipated... Oh, anyway, doesn't matter. Um, Alejandro continues, this has led to some of those games being covered further behind, even two months or more than my competitors. Uh, watching playthroughs uh, for those anticipated S-ing games are, or for Alejandro, and perhaps others, some of the most anticipated Roto videos of the year. So Alejandro asks, is it torture to wait so much longer? Ugh! Are there any solutions to this issue? Uh, have I reached out to some of those publishers and let them know the situation? Uh, if logistics make it tedious to get a Final copy as a prototype, a better alternative, or are you avoiding those? That's a much interesting questions. Let's go. First of all, is it torture? Yes, and yeah, it, it bugs me because I, I. It's no secret. I mean. I don't know, maybe other pe- Maybe other channels will deny it, but we are competing with each other. I mentioned earlier, how do you be successful? Cover the hot games. I want to be successful. I want to cover the hot games. I want my channel to thrive. I, I, I want to be the first one out. I want to have the, the scoop. And I can't complain. I have scoops seven ways to Sunday. I probably... Inter- I, I, I'm probably... Inter- eh top three. I mean, you know, Tom does, although I mean, three quarters of the games Tom's covered, I would never want to cover with a 10-foot pole because they're party games and kid games and stuff like that. Um, I, I think I get more scoops on things I really care about than Tom does any day of the week. There are a few other channels out there that beat me to the punch, but I I, I know I, I beat more channels to the punch more often than not. Doesn't change the fact that I'm still incredibly jealous. I mean, gosh, what what, what what's driving me nuts? What's on my wish list right now? Let's uh, let's go back to Board Game Geek and let's find my wish list, shall we? D T T. Chrome, de Chrome, Chrome, Chrome. All right. Uh, Rado's wish list. What am I just? Skin crawling. All right. Well, Dice Realms, I don't think that's going to be showing up anytime soon. Is it? I don't know. I haven't heard anything. But, oh yeah. Planet Unknown. I mean, that's not... Right. So, uh, the Maracaibo... Well, as I understand it, the Maracaibo stuff that's in Essen is only German, so I wouldn't be able to handle that anyway. But I'm very excited about that. And it looks like the loop expansion isn't out yet. Boon Lake. Oh my gosh! It is my number one most must-have game. And uh, apparently it's sold out the first day at Essen. And everybody's bringing copies back. And I probably won't see a copy. I mean, this is one of the ones you're talking about. Um, I am beside myself. Alexander Fisher is my second favorite designer of all time. And we also, in addition to this, have a new um, Steffen Feld expansion for Bonfire. Bonfire. I don't know when I'm going to get a copy of that. It drives me absolutely insane. Putting aside the fact that I want my channel to get cool, hot exclusives, I just am desperate, desperate, desperate to play these games. Because I, I won't deny, I'm, I'm a cult of the new guy. I love new and novel experiences. So, Boon Lake, it's killing me. Um, Tumbletown Town and Dead Reckoning, I, I mean, I'd love to get those. If I don't, C'est La Vie, Dice Games, but Go- there's Golem. Um, Meadow, I covered it on Kickstarter. I would really like to see the final version. It could maybe make my top ten of the year. I don't know if the publishers are going to send it to me. Uh, new Teotihuacan expansion. Maybe they'll finally get the, uh, the, the bumping right. Because they, they, they kind of danced around with it. It's still a little off. Um, there's Pound's West Kingdom, more Glen, more stuff coming. Oh, the Fantastic Factories, man, uh, man, uh, manufactions expansion. I want that so bad. Uh, Solar Strayer isn't going to be for a while. I only played a prototype of Aeon's in Legacy of Gravehold. I want the final thing. I want all of these things. There's Bonfire, Mobile Markets, a smartphone, you know, Express game. Oh, please, please, please. Dominion Allies. Look at all these things I want so very, very much. And, um, oh, you know, Madeira expansion. I don't know. Did, did What's Your Game make it to Essen this year? I, I haven't really paid much attention because I'm not going. But anyway, yeah, there's definitely stuff out there. And yes, it drives me absolutely batty that I cannot have it. So, um, you know, misery loves company. So take solace in the fact that I'm as frustrated as you, Alejandro. So to your other questions, what's the solution to this issue? Um, I don't know. Um, so I mean, you, you asked, do I reach out? Yes, I reach out to publishers all the time. I send emails. Hi, I, I do a show called Roto Runs Through. I'd really be loved to try filming this. Sometimes they respond, sometimes they don't. Um, sometimes they're in the process of switching over from one marketing person to another, and the new marketing person just... you know, the transfer goes bad, and, and I end up not getting a thing for three months. What I should do is constantly pound and pepper them. But I'm really loath to do that. Um, you know, like, I'll, I'll write somebody, and if they don't respond, I'll write them again, Hey, I wrote six months ago and never heard back. I was wondering if you're still sending out review copies. And then, you know, by then, the game's already been out for three months... And um, yeah, I expect some of the games I just talked about, that's going to be the case. If I'm not physically there, if I walk up and say, Hi, maybe you know me, I do a show, Rotto runs through, they're like, oh, Rotto, yeah, we got a copy here, take one. And that's what I always did for years. Trying to get publishers to send them in the mail is like pulling teeth. It drives me absolutely insane, and I'll be honest, between you and me and the wall, it makes me feel like garbage that I've got arguably the second or the third most popular board game review channel there is. No, the third or the fourth. I mean, Rodney isn't really reviews, but you know what I mean. I am top tier. Um, you know. I'm upper echelon, and yet I still have to... Please, sir, may I have another? And it just makes me... No! You know what? Because there are plenty of games that are being sent to me, and so I, I, I will prioritize those, because those publishers actually value my show and i just kind of okay i'll worry about the other game when it gets to me and that's what i've had to do for myself just let it go you know what i am not wanting for other games to play and yes there are games i'm super excited about and maybe the publishers will come through And maybe they won't. And if they don't, I'll ask again, very politely in six months, hey, just circling back around, never heard from you. And doing more than that. I mean, I should be riding them weekly or monthly or something like that. I just can't do it. It makes me feel kind of dirty and it makes me feel bad about myself. And I'm just like, okay, fine, I'll just move on. That's kind of what happens. Um, What I should be doing is get on a plane and go to Essen or Gen Con. I should have gone to Gen Con. I would have picked up a lot of stuff there in person. But... That's expensive, and if you ever get to know me in real life, one thing you'll learn is I am a cheap son of a gun. Um, So yeah, that's it. It's just it's just just the new normal. It is the way it is, and I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry it's come to this, Alejandro. Believe me, it drives me nuts too. I mean, my other option, of course, is just to buy the games. But here's the problem. Everybody'll say, buy the game, and I could. I'll buy the game, and then if I do that, that means it'll go over on that little corner of my shelf where I've got about a dozen games that I bought over the last couple of years that will never get played because in that room over there, there's 50 or 60 games that have been sent to me. And I feel honor-bound, duty-bound. If somebody has actually sent me a game, they've incurred a lot of costs, the you know, cost of goods, the shipping, you know, the logistics, all of that stuff, I feel obligated to... Um, it's, just the, it's just the polite thing to do. If they were polite enough to want to work with me for my channel, I should work for them. Or, not for them. I should work with them and put the best video I can up. And the stuff that I got for myself, that just languishes. So, buying them is not the answer either because I just won't cover them. Um, um, yeah, I mean, my uh, I, I bought the uh, Expansion for Seven Wonders, or I'd love to play that someday with the balloons and all that, but I bought it myself, so I'll probably... I don't know. Sometime when I, when I retire, I'll eventually get around to that, etc., etc. So that's the situation. Um, so you, then you continue. Uh, our, our prototypes alternatives, I suppose. I mean, um, like Delicious Games. They didn't... I mean, I just covered uh, Messina 1347. It was a prototype is a prototype that looks good enough that for on camera, it might as well be the final version. And that's fine. I'm happy to do that. Very few publishers do that. And um, my other option, the one big option that I could easily solve all of this, I talked about this earlier, I could start filming Tabletopia and Tabletop Simulator mods. Only official ones. I would not do pirated ones, as I've talked at great length about my feelings about Tabletop Simulator as a piracy platform, but where it's official mods, great. I could totally do that. I've often thought about doing that. Um, I could have very much done that to cover Marrakesh when it was on Kickstarter. Queen Games said, Hey, we'd love you to cover it. We cannot get you a prototype in time. Would you be willing to do a, a Kickstarter preview of it on our digital implementation? I would be down with that. My voters, the people who actually back me on Patreon, have said on more than one occasion, Rado, we don't want to see you doing digital covers of games. And I said, well, what if it's like a really super hot game? Is that we'd rather wait for the physical thing? So, um, you know, since they are the folks who are literally paying my bills and helping me make the show run, I respond to them, which is why, even though what I said earlier, I think you can make an amazing, um, super professional game using Tabletopia that I don't think anybody would mind. My audience has said, don't do that, Rado, so I'm not going to do it. But that would be the solution because, you know, there are official... More and more these days there are official mo- mods for these things coming available very quickly. But I'm not going to do that because my audience said no. So it's this is just the new normal, Alejandro. Next year, maybe I'll go to Gen Con. Um, maybe. Maybe. We will see. Um, Of course... There, you know, I, I am going to be going to Dice or uh, not a board game Geek West, and um, maybe some of the games will be there, and you know, some stuff is brought over. I'm not quite sure. We'll see what happens. Um, anyway, though, moving right along. I, but I, I apologize. It drives me nuts too. I do miss. Oh man, you uh, Essen is I. S in the convention, I could take or leave. Um, The people I see, that's really great. But more importantly, that big mountain of hotness that I'm just so... Oh, where do I start? It's all so amazing. I love that, and I definitely miss that. Okay. Um, Helmet says, first, thanks for using the channel to spread important messages, even if it impacts my income. Uh, Thank you, Helmet. After finishing the Ramble audio files using the RSS feed from Patreon, which I talked about earlier. That's um, what... Matilda was asking about, I think. It worked without issue, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Uh, having that in the podcast fees helps me not missing them. Hope it's not time-consuming to put up... No, actually, helmet. it's so easy. I'm honestly embarrassed that I wasn't doing it from the moment I started my Patreon campaign. It's like an extra 15 minutes after I do the show to strip out the audio um, and upload it and do a post for you guys to see. I mean, Patreon... I gotta say, um, Patreon... As a service, you know, getting back to that question earlier about uh, you know, GameFound versus Kickstarter is like web page, you know, services. Patreon is uh been for the most part I've been very very impressed by it. It really does a lot of stuff to make my life much easier running the show um you know and you know giving exclusive stuff to all the backers, you know, the exclusive rambles, the exclusive. I mean every month I do two run throughs only for you Patreon backers that the rest of the world will never see, you know, and all this stuff. And yeah, when I started doing the the uh, podcast versions of my existing show exclusive shows, that was super duper easy. Um, very, very impressed with the product. Oh, and plus, the coolest thing about Patreon, uh, every time I've ever had a technical issue, I re- write, and they reply the same freaking day. And it's a human being replying. I've always been very impressed by their tech support as well. Really, really um, you know, focused on good service. So that's neither here nor there, but thank you for the kind words, Helmet. Daniel. Daniel, let me get a drink of water here. I think you got a lot of stuff here. Mm. Okay. Number one, says Daniel. Difficulty in co-ops. His take. All right. Um, The original question was... uh, And it looks like I had some bad copying and pasting there. Uh, But anyway, it doesn't matter. The original question he asked in a previous question was, Do I prefer increasing the difficulty by making bad guys more powerful or making heroes weaker and why? I recall that. I think that was pretty straightforward. Did I not answer? Well, anyway, you're going to continue. What you meant was, do I prefer to increase, decrease the difficulty? The Gloomhaven way. You change the difficulty from normal to hard to easy by rotating monster cards up or down. Or too many bones way. Hard is technically one health, um, uh, minus one health training, minus one health. Well, the Gloomhaven way. That's very very cool. I mean, I, I think the Gloomhaven, um, that whole monster sleeve thing, I always thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, so you're talking about very very specifically. Um, yeah, I. Yeah, I I don't remember what I answered before, but I would be willing to bet my um, answer was that I don't want the heroes to become weaker in general. It's like it's why I I, I think. Gloomhaven, or not Gloomhaven, Pandemic is so brilliant, and so many games mess this up. Um, In a two-player game, players become more powerful. The game state doesn't change at all. It's just as hard to save the world as it ever was. You have to admit as much done. But you make the players more powerful so that they can do what you would normally need four players to do, two players can do. And it's so simple. All you do is you just have a bigger hand of opening cards, and that has such a huge impact. Um, So I very much appreciate that. Um, Now, that's different. Your Gloomhaven thing, um, you know, in in Gloomhaven, nothing changes about the heroes. You just find a way to systematically weaken the monsters. Um, And I, I think that's really, really cool. I'm not complaining at all, but I do still think making heroes stronger is better because, I mean, hey... I want to be a big and strong and brave hero. I like being able to do a worth less, and I certainly always kind of resent a little bit, oh, the game's treating me with kids' gloves. Oh, they had to make it easier for me because I'm not as powerful, since it's just me and Jen, as opposed to me, Jen, Bed, and Betty, and Bob. Oh, by the way, uh, you add, P.S., the Gloomhaven equivalent for too many bones would be, for example, decreasing each player's hand size by one or health by one. Oh, man, there's is so many specifics, Daniel. Um, Like I said, on a high level... Uh, I think the best way to do it is for to make the players stronger, to have two players capable of doing what four players would do, and then leave the world alone. If you're not going to do that, and I'll admit, that's probably the hardest thing to do from a balancing perspective. And I don't even think te- Pandemic does that well, because it's very well known. The fewer players you have, the easier Pandemic gets. Um, you just have to increase the difficulty to match, which is fine. Uh, if you can't do that, if I do I want to make the... I, I, I would still rather... Make the monsters weaker than make the heroes weaker. I would always rather do that. So the Gloomhaven thing would be preferred. Okay. Um, right. Number two. Concordia is not a deck builder. Oh, man. There's a bunch of people. I think you and two other people, I kind of grouped them all together. So uh, Concordia's not a deck builder. You don't have a deck in Concordia your entire hand is... A... Right. So... There was uh, several people. Daniel talked about this, and then Mike talked about it, and then Ryan talked about it, and Seth Jaffe talked about it on Twitter, and that prompted a whole conversation as well. And honestly, I didn't give it that much thought when the the question originally came up. And I haven't given it that much thought since. But let's see, maybe you can walk me through um, some thoughts on it. You don't have a a deck in Concordia. Your entire uh, pool is either your hand or your discard. You don't have a deck to draw from. Wrong! Your discard pile is a deck of cards. You do not have a deck of cards. Is not defined by only drawing one card at a time. Is it a deck of cards in Klondike that I get to draw three cards at a time instead of one? No. A deck is a collection of cards. That's it, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you, I mean, a a hand is a subset of what a deck is. A deck is a collection of cards. You can also call it a hand of cards if it exists only in your hand. But it doesn't change the fact that I have a personal deck. The only way I think a collection of cards is not a deck is if somehow the cards never get split up into individual silos. There are three silos, traditionally. Of course, there are far-out games that break this. You, uh, you can have a draw pile, you can have a discard pile, and you can got your hand. And of course, like I said, there's a, you have multiple draw piles. There's all kinds of craziness. But let's just keep to the simple stuff. Those are largely, the commonly, the three things you've got. Um, as soon as my draw pile is empty, do I suddenly not have a deck of cards anymore? Because all the cards are now either in my hand or in the discard pile? No. There is still a deck of cards. I am still playing with a deck of cards. It's just temporary. It's like it's like H2O has different states, but it's always H2O, whether it is ice or water. And uh, my high school uh, f- uh, science might be failing me there, but you know what I mean. A collection of cards, on the simplest level, this is a deck of cards. That's why I kind of went down when I talked about this before. um, What is a deck? Does a deck have to have at least three cards? Uh, A deck, I would imagine, uh, you can have a two-card deck You can also have a two-card hand. So um, in Concordia, you have a discard pile that you will occasionally recover cards from. To my way of thinking, that is no different than having a draw pile that you occasionally recover cards from. It's all cards. They're just moving between three different things. All those cards combined are your deck of cards. That's the way I look at it. You can agree to disagree. I believe Seth Jaffe, a very well-respected designer and game developer, uh, disagrees with me as well. But that's what I'm going to define a deck of cards as. Um, It doesn't matter how you get the cards out of it. The only way you don't have a deck of cards, maybe, is in a weird game where cards could only ever exist in one of those things. Maybe then it could be a hand. Maybe if... No. Okay, a game where I do not have a personal collection of cards. There's just... There's a common deck, but even there, you've got a common deck that you're drawing from. I don't know. That's the way I look at it. Anyway, we'll continue. I'm sorry. I've already rudely interrupted, um, Daniel, and I'm probably going to do it to everybody else who comments about this as well. Right. My Dominion example is a straw man. There are very few situations during a game of Dominion where you will ever have cards either in your deck or your discard, where you'll have all cards... What are you talking about, very uncommon? That happens all the freaking time. There's all kinds of cards that can make that happen. And even if it only happened rarely, the fact that it exists, if you are talking about black and white definitions of game terms, you can't say, oh, well, you know what, that circumstance doesn't matter. All circumstances matter when you are making official definitions of stuff. And so my point is, if I have a draw pile and a discard pile and a hand, eventually when that deck goes empty, there is still a deck of cards. It still exists. That's my feeling. Anyway, though, we can continue. All righty. Um, I, I I I may sound like I'm coming on really hot. I'm not. This is you're kind of getting a view of my life as a video game designer. My favorite times of designing was working with my fellow designers and all of us getting into really pitched and passionate debates about stuff. I always love that. So I'm just I'm not angry. I'm passionate. About this thing that I've never really thought that much about. Anyway, though, um, in the one instance when you can argue a deck exists when you play Praetor, you immediately draw every card back into your hand. Um, oh, okay, fine. Um, we, we're going to have to agree to disagree. Uh, t- as far as I'm concerned, a collection of cards is a deck. Um, you know, lions travel in prides. Cards travel in decks. Alright, and you could split that Pride up, and some of them are out hunting, and some of them are taking care of the kids. It's still a Pride of Lions. All those cards are still a deck of cards. Hee <laughs> hee Alrighty. Um, even if one of them is a hunting party, and one of them... you know, whatever. Alright, would calling cards in Concordia make your deck stronger or weaker? All right, so it sounds like you're getting off of that and just into more of a philosophical thing about Concordia. Would calling cards in Concordia make your deck stronger or weaker? Compare that to Dominion, Aeon's End, or any other real deck builder. All right, so now you've gone beyond the definition of a deck into a deck builder. I do not believe that a deck builder is defined by, in the same way, I mean, a lot of people say worker placement must be defined as players, uh, my worker will block your worker and prevent you from working. I refute that definition. I think that is too narrow. It throws way too much out. I think you can have personal deck builder or worker placement games that have nothing to do with blocking at all. A worker placement game is a game where you have a worker and you place them. It's as simple as that. A Deck Builder is a game where you have a deck of cards, and you know how I define a deck of cards, and you build that deck. If you, at any point during the game, add even one card to the personal collection of cards that you own, you're playing a Deck Builder. Now, there are scales of Deck Builderness. There's very Deck Buildy and not very Deck Buildy. I mean, heck, before Dominion came out, didn't the World of Warcraft board game, didn't that really, or was it Starcraft, actually pushed the Deck Builder because, hey, over the course of the game, you had some cards, you know, maybe add one or two cards, and it was officially a deck builder. I think. I think that's the case. I never played it, but I remember hearing something about that. So yeah, deck builder. You have a deck of cards. You add more cards to your deck over the course of the game. Thinning does not matter. Drawing and discarding does not matter. It's in the title. If I have a deck, and I build that deck, and I build that deck by adding something to it, it's a deck builder. Anyway, so that's why... And don't get me wrong. Remember, I begrudgingly call it a deck builder if you want to get really um, into deep into design terminology semantics. It doesn't really matter. Personally, I call it a hand builder because your focus is not on your deck. Your focus is on your hand, which is a subset of your deck. Your deck is all of your cards combined. Your hand is a portion of that. What you really focus on from the moment to moment in that game is hand building. Hand builder is not an official mechanism, and affi- you know, as defined by board game geek, which is the closest thing that we have to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary of Mechanisms. So the closest thing is deck, or more to, the por- more to the point, pool building. And yes, I have a pool of cards. Over the course of the game, I will add more cards to my pool. Hence, Concordia officially is a deck slash pool builder. Alrighty, but I agree with you also. Uh, Concordian Spirit Island um, are hand builders. Yeah. You know what? Lobby for Hand Builder, and you'll have a small handful of games that will go on there. Uh, It'll be joined by Lewis and Clark and a handful of others that I can't think of. But in the meantime, it is a pool builder. It's a pool of cards. Pool um, Builder is synonymous with Deck Builder, and there we go. But we're not done. That was Daniel. Now Mike would like to weigh in. Uh, In the most recent podcast, there was a discussion about Concordia. I didn't mention something says Mike, that Mike thought might be a defining characteristic. Namely, that each card has a monetary value, which is how other cards are purchased and added to your deck. This is not true of Concordia. Um, they do. Uh, they, they, they they have a goods value instead of a monetary value. But seeing as how all goods can be ascribed money because you can sell those goods, they do indirectly have a monetary value. But anyway, I'm sorry, I interrupted? Um, this is not true of Concordia, but it, it is true of my two favorite deck builders, Paperback and Quest for Eldorado. Are there games without this mechanism that you consider to be deck builders? If not, maybe the mechanism is... Nope, nope, nope. I, again, I'm going to repeat myself. I apologize. I won't go too long into it. If I have a deck, and I add anything to that deck over the course of the game, strictly speaking, and I, that's strictly speaking that I put there, is doing a lot of heavy lifting, it is a deck builder. Or you could call it a pool builder. I kind not you know, I mean, because then we got bag builders and we got um, deck builders, and I, I feel like there's been a third type of thing now. You can put, you can hold them in a bag, you can hold them in a deck. You could, I mean, um, your know, your hand is another way to put it. Hand builder is a subset of pool builder, but it's uh, closer to deck builder because a collection of cards is a deck. Um, right. Card is singular. Cards is deck. Alrighty. But we're not done because Ryan says regarding my early discussion of what constituted deck of cards, uh, describing Concordia as a deck builder, to Ryan, a deck is any number of cards, at least two, all right, I'm with you there, buddy, that are upside down, and the player does not have exact knowledge of what is on each card. Um, right, all right, uh, and I'm sure that would be a very common, most people would probably agree with you there. They are drawn into play, in some fashion, from the top of the stack. Let me ask you this... Ryan, imagine a game like Concordia where you did not get all your cards back at once, but instead you pulled them one at a time from your draw pile. You don't even have to imagine very hard because Friedman freezes... Faeum does this. fam like Concordia, you have a whole hand of cards. Over time, you will start playing them to a discard pile. Unlike Concordia, you will not grab them all at once. When you are going to recover them, you get to recover a certain number of them. And in fact, you can pay resources to recover more of them. But you can basically, what is it, um, last in first out, right? Um, as opposed... so. Um, what is that? Because you just said the only difference is face down versus face up. But you know what? The card that's underneath the card I'm about to take, is that not functionally face down? Because I can't see it. But, oh, you say, oh, but I knew what it was there because I saw it at one time. All right, then. Does that mean, let's imagine a game where um, I get to take a bunch of cards, I get to put them in any order I want, and then I put them face down on the table. Is it no longer a deck because I know what they are? Because if that's the case, then Aeon's End is not a deck builder. Because Aeon's End, you know exactly the order of cards in the deck. Because you forced, you created that order of cards. If you've got a good enough memory, that is. So that's the thing. I mean, trying to narrow and constrict everything down, I just see no purpose because you, I will always be able to find exceptions. Here's the exception I can't find. More than one card... It, um, you know, a collection of more than one card is a deck in the same way that a collection of more than one lions is a pride. It's as simple as that. Where those cards exist, what format they exist in, you know as long as they are all held in some common container, uh, which is to say me, my player space, which is what a typical deck builder is. Um, but you know it could be uh, you know all in a you know a, a common draw pile or whatever. That's the way I look at it. And I think when you start saying, oh, well no, they have to be face down instead of face up. And well, why? Because then I don't know what it is. So I don't know what it is. What if I have a thing where there's a bunch of discard piles and I shuffle it before I start drawing them. but they're still face up, Is it not a deck of cards? I don't know what I'm gonna be getting. Why is that not a deck, but this other one is? The face-up, face-down thing doesn't hold water for me because you have interesting games like FAM where I basically create my draw pile over the course of the game. Every time I play a card, I am making a bigger deck of cards that I will be able to recover stuff from. I am creating a draw pile, and it's just that the draw pile is face-up instead of face-down. To me, that's immaterial. The function is still, I get to get those cards back one at a time. So, um, righty. Anyway, of course... In a deck builder, you can thin a deck where it occurs to it, but that's not a typical occurrence to me. Okay, alrighty, so I think that was it. I think, sorry folks, for people who did not want to hear me uh, blather on about stuff like, honestly, I don't care that much. It's just fun to argue. It is fun to argue about um, stuff like this. Anyway, though, Lance. Hey, buddy. Uh, First off, uh, it was Lance who suggested I do the RSSE for the Patreon rambles, uh, and Lance uh, really appreciates them, and uh, yes, Lance, thank you for pushing me for that. Because I think you mentioned it, and then I said, yeah, and then I forgot all about it, or I just never got around to it, and you pushed me again, and that finally spurred me to action, and I now regret not having done it sooner. You were right, sir. Well done. Continuing, Lance uh, could tell that I was torn between making... Yeah, I'm torn the same way here. Making good video and audio. Uh, you know, the, the the fundamental issue of, hey, I want to show stuff in a browser right now because some people are watching this podcast episode, whereas others are only listening. And so I'm always kind of torn between that. But anyway, Lance says, as an audio-only listener, I can generally say that podcast listeners are not worried about visual elements that they don't have. We put uh, we can imagine things um, that you're talking about uh, or pull out our phones and look ourselves. Don't sweat it. Thanks, Lance. All righty. Since you were so wise before, I will bear that in mind. After hearing me talk about progress, evolution, and technology on a recent r and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Ah, oh, Another game that I have not played for, what, seven or eight years? Let's see how well I do. Okay. I really loved the game. and was blown away when it came out. I thought it was really good, too. I remember in Malta, we actually played that one out on the back porch on Sweltering Hot Sun, and we both really dug it quite a bit. Um, I, mo- I remember most about it was really agonizing over every time I would give up a card to pay the cost of, another card that it went into the common discard pile that Jen could then pull out of and all that. I thought all that stuff was great. Anyway, sorry. Um, uh, Lance continues. When the Kickstarter version came out, it came with the Industrial Revolution. Right. I think that's like the fourth age. What I played in the prototype had three ages. It gave a fourth age. Right. When playing with that, um, it started running into the game lasting a bit longer than it felt like it should go. A lot of criticism on BGG was uh, was about game length. The original intention was there for me more expansions and eventually have a future tech expansion, but they dropped it when they found that adding expansion just made the game longer. What are my thoughts on the length of the game with the expansion? I have the game. I, I don't know. I haven't played. I'm pretty sure I never got a chance to circle back around and play it. Um, or if I did, probably only once and then moved on. Um, all right. What are your thoughts? about? So I am going to be, i what are my thoughts about the lengthy expansion? You think they could have gone further with it? I, I think that's a bummer if in fact that's the case. Uh, you know, we just talked about FAM. FAM, um, FAM d- uh, does a lot of really cool stuff. Watch my run through to see why. It's a really, so many cool games. I, I think I called it um, you know, uh, Friedman Freeze's best game of all times, in my, to my opinion. One of the things it does is it borrows the um, card drafting system of Power Grid, where when cards come out, they don't um, they don't just go into most expensive. You know, you, you pay attention, you shuffle them around, and that's all really exciting. And the game is over once that all the cards have come out. Once you cycle through the whole deck. And um, I felt my one complaint about FAM was it's a bit too long. And in a two-player game, at the end of every round, or maybe at the end of every turn, I think it's at the end of every round, the two cards that have been on the table the longest get sh- uh, shucked away, and they're gone. And so make room for new stuff. So that just kind of replicates more players um, burning through the deck faster. I don't see any reason, because other people complain that it's a bit too long as well, Why not make it three cards instead of two, and just speed the game up? That would increase the speed of the game by 33%, or give or take. And I wonder if such a thing were possible for progress. You know what? i got to go back and look. i got to go check my old videos again, and I'll be right back. Yeah, okay, I don't know how much that would work. Um, Because I I forgot, I mean, going back and looking at just how incredibly interlaced everything is with everything else in that game. Um, I mean, they already do have this scaling of, you know, the uh, the more players, the more age symbols have to come out. So that kind of works pretty well. Here's the thing: this drives me nuts. It seems like such a simple solution to me, and yet, no, almost no publishers or developers or designers ever go for it when it's such a no-brainer to me. So let's say let's say progress. Okay, you, you know, say ultimately progress got the uh, you know the industrial age and then the modern age and then the future age, and there you could actually have to play through six full sessions. So the rules should support the epic mode that will take two and a half hours, and um, and that's really only for the hardcore players. And you know, for regular players, it would take even longer than that. And that's great. And then you say for people who are like, ah, you know what? We expect some people would rather play for an hour. So here's what you can do: you can play the dawn of man, which means just play the first three. You know, just play from the start, first three, and boom, you're done. That's what the game is designed for. If you want to play, um, the turning point, I'm just making stuff up. Here's what you do. You're gonna start in age two, and you're gonna play age two, three, and four. Um, because the era of industrialization is when things truly changed for man. And how do you do that? How do you just jump right into um, age two, skipping age one? You have a very quick, simple... There's a million different ways you could do it. A draft is a really simple way to do it. Say, look, here's a bunch of level one stuff. We are going to replicate the 15 minutes it takes to play age one in about... A minute and a half by doing a draft, and that means everybody will start with something comparable to what they would have at the end of the first age. And um, I've seen a few games do this. Uh, colonists did this as an example. But it's very, very rare. And I think it's awesome, and I'll tell you why. Um I'm a big, big fan of you, of you, know, uh, everybody starting with a unique circumstance, unique player powers, uh, unique objectives, and all that. And um, you know, I'm saying that you know what? Hey, after this very quick draft, or um, you know, card splitting thing, or uh, auction, or whatever, there's a million different ways you could do this. Where you could basically fast forward through an entire age of the game, so that the game doesn't have to get any longer, but you can go deeper into the storyline. Whatever method you want to do it, and it would be easy. To implement, easy peasy to do, um, and it would be a fun little kind of mini game you play right as part of setup. Um, and it would feel great because wow, we're just zipping right along! Yeah, that's Stone Age and Age of Antiquity. Boom, done, moving on. Let's get to the exciting stuff. Um, doing that, and again, a uh, colonist did it. A uh, colonist is probably one of the best examples I've ever seen of this. Because colonists, if you played from start to finish, was like seven or eight hours long. But it didn't have to be. You could play in a 90-minute game and just only play the future stuff by doing this thing that would basically fast-forward through all the early game. You do that, and it means everybody gets to start in a very specific circumstance. A very interesting puzzle, a problem to solve, of right. These things I got um, in my fast forwarded version of age one, how am I going to leverage these together? How am I going to make these different pieces work? I think that would work brilliantly. And that's, you know, when you release the fourth expansion, you say, look, you can play the long game, or if you want to play the express game, you can play, here's a way to skip, um, ages one and two, and you can have a 45 minute game, um, that is just about the, uh, you know, age three and then age four. That's awesome. And again, I point to Colin. This is a great example of it. Uh, and other games have done it too. And I think they should have done it for this. So that's how I would go about it, I think. Um, because I don't—I I looked at it, and I don't think it would necessarily make sense to like do the fam thing of say, hey, you know what? It's, it's one fewer card you have to get. Or everybody... And when you go into a new age, automatically get one card to that age. Or pretend you have one. I don't think that would work. It would probably mess with the balance. So a fast-forward option is what I would recommend. All righty. Uh, Okay, then we move on to Henrik. Who wonders, have I ever seen board game stats that's generated from my board game account? Um, Yeah, the Insights. Yes, I have seen it. Uh, It's really fun to browse. Maybe I could look through it and share something I found. I've I've looked through this many, many times. I've occasionally used it to do... um, Oh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Get my basis of what a top 10 is going to be. Let me go on ahead and pull it up. I just followed your link. Oh, wait. No, what is this? This is something completely different. look at this business. All righty. I think I have seen this somewhere. No, I don't think I've ever seen this at all. I was thinking you were talking about on Board Game Geek itself. Board Game Geek gives you certain collection stats, like uh, how your collection breaks down based on publisher and designer and, and um, you know weight and stuff like that. And I, I really love those. That's what I was talking about. You're talking about this crazy thing. Mm. Let's see. Let's go for a little looky-loo. What can we find here? All righty. Well, first of all, I have a... Well, no, a shelf shame is going to be meaningless because I don't track my plays, do I? I bet you if this thing relies a lot on tracking of plays... Oops, here, I need to click over here. Then it's probably not get very far. I have 432 games. A summary of my shelf. All shelf data is tracked. Goodness gracious, this is so much stuff. Right. Oh, changes in shelf size over the last 12 months. Okay. Um, I'm keeping my collection pretty much at roughly the same size. What's this? All right. So that, that's a observation gathering dust. Um, how do you know these are gathering dust? Cause he, I don't track my plays and I've played castles of Burgundy last year. So why? I mean, I've had it since September 30th, 2020. These games that have been sitting on the shelf... Oh, it's just the games I've had the longest. So, apparently, the game I've had the longest in my collection is Carcassonne the Castle. That's not quite true. I've had games longer than that. It's just the game I've gone longest without touching by either you know having to tweak it... At least, I'm guessing by uh, tweaking its... uh, I'm assuming this is going by modified date, or is it just going by the day it was first added? Um... Did I have had a... Yeah, I've had a... Car- Car- Carcassonne was one of the first games I got, and I got Agricola shortly thereafter, but I got a bunch of games before I got Carson C, so I'm not quite sure how it gets that. Um, right, and so a lot of these stats are going to be meaningless because I don't track my plays. So let's get off the shelf of shame thing. What is the worth? Oh, this will be embarrassing and depressing, and maybe I should just sell it all. Um, although it's going to take a while to figure out what the worth of my collection is, apparently. Uh might be a bit. I'll pause and uh, come back when it's done. Okay, that barely took enough time for me to get a drink of water. The value of my collection at around 400 games is $1,300. It's up 24 bucks over the last... Um, but six months ago, it was $2,290. But I I have actually... Let's see. Are, are, it, does it know? No, it can't know what my um, what my collection was six months ago because I didn't uh, do this then. So this is probably saying that my collection overall has dropped by $2,200 over the last six months. 14. dollars 100. What? I don't quite understand how that works. Intersection Tread. Okay, I don't understand what these stats are, but um, my most valuable game is Seventh Continent, and that's not even including my expansion that I bought. Glory to Rome at $133, bucks. Uh, and that makes sense. Uh, Edge of Darkness, 126 bucks. I love Edge of Darkness. Rococo Deluxe at 117 and Gloomhaven at 103 Alright, Alright, the worth has pretty much stayed pretty steady for the last year. And again, um, right, trending. These games that are trended up in value. Above and Below has gone up 4.7 in value over the last, what, three months, I guess? I see three months here? I'm not quite sure. Uh, My Russian Railroads is rising. My Lords of Waterdeep is rising. My Lancaster is rising. What's dropping in value? Do you have a dropping in value? All righty. I have $541 worth of games from Steffenfeld. And... um, Right. Okay. Yeah. So Stefan has cost me the most money. Although this doesn't apply for me because a lot of my games, um, the majority of my games, I get uh, you know for free. So, but it is still interesting. Uwe Rosenberg is number two. Michael Kiesling number three. Matthias Kramer number four, and then Alexander Fischer number five. That is genuinely interesting to me. Publishers: Lookout Games comes in at number one. Hans and Gluck number two. Eagle Griffin number three. Tasty Minstrel, oh rest in peace. So sad. Tasty Minstrel number four and Queen Games number five. Those are interesting. This is fun. Oh my gosh, there is so much stuff here. What about general ratings? Is this going to be my ratings? Uh, This overview of my ratings. I've rated 393 games and my average is 8.3 because I get rid of stuff I don't like. Um, My average first rating is 8.2. My average second rating is 8.3. All righty. Let's see. I, I update 42% of my ratings. That's true. I'm always updating them. And uh, let's see. In the last whatever, it doesn't say what time frame this is. I'm going to assume month. No, it must be probably the last year, maybe. I have made 79 increases, and I'm surprised. 66 decreases. That's interesting. Um, right. Again, the getting played is useless because I don't rack my pl- I don't track my plays. Right. Um, wow. Disparities. Which of my rankings have the biggest difference from BoardGameGeek community? Alrighty. Um, yeah, and, and BoardGameGeek has something very similar to this. Where I, and I think I did a top 10 of places where I disagree with uh, BoardGameGeek the most. Thermopyles, which is my biggest disparity. I think it's a nice little game, a 7.3. And BoardGameGeek thinks it's a 4. That's ridiculous. Here's the deal though. The vast majority of people have never played Thermopolis. Only like 50 people in the world have actually played Thermopolis because it was an extremely limited little deck of card promo bonus you got when you went on the first ever uh, board and sand thing. So there's like 50 people in the world who have this game. And um, But 276 people have rated it, and you know why they've done that? Because uh, Ludi Creations did a quick little digital implementation of the solo-only version, and they're rating it based off that. At least they must be, or else they're just hate rating it. And I even then, I don't think it's a 4, but the game is more fun with more players, definitely. Uh, Jen, I, I kept it. I kept it all these years. Uh, Shadowrun Crossfire, I say, is a 9.9. BoardGameGeek says it's a 7.2. Board game Geek is wrong. I mean, I'm crazy too, but I'm crazy about it. Peloponnes is my third one. Tiny Epic Defenders. Oh, I will defend Tiny Epic Defenders to the uh, to the ends of the earth, to the hot, fiery death of the sun. 8.6, I say. 6.3, says uh, Board Game Geek, and I am right. And Pandemic, uh, I, I say, is a 9.9. 9. Near perfect. There's no such thing as perfect. And uh, they say a 7.6, which is still, for Board Game Geek, pretty good. Um, let's see. What types of games have received the highest average rating from me? Minimum of three ratings. Right. So apparently, miniatures, miniatures games get my highest overall aggregate rating. Medical-based games are number two. Farming, now that's not a surprise. Number three, video game theme is number four. What do I own any video game theme games? What the heck are you talking about? Are you gonna tell me what that is? I guess I can click on this. There's there's six of them. Railways of the World is a video game theme? Okay, anno eighteen hundred is this war of mine is city skylines is overboss is diceborn heroes isn't but it kind of is all right fine economic uh, at an eight point five basically three way tie between farming economic and video game theme for the uh, biggest ones for me all right that's fun Uh, what else activity I can't I've never yeah designers. What designers have received my highest average rating? My highest average rated game is Elaine Orban with an average of nine. Now that really goes to Pearl Games. And it's probably because or- Orlane hasn't done as much as Sebastian Doudardine and Michelle or um, Javier Georges. Uh, but Sebastian makes my number three because I, I, Pearl Games, I mean, they don't do much, but when they do something, it's amazing. Matt Leacock comes in. Rustin Hackinson. Uh, that's... That's... That's Nations. Yeah, okay. And Thomas Lehman. Yeah, Thomas Lehman's a brilliant designer. Um, Publishers. Heidelberger Spielverlag. Pearl Games, my number two. Uh, um, Let's see. Biggest changes in rating over time. Honshu. Let's see. Tracking began from the day they were first imported into Geek Group. Now, is is this my changes? Or is this the world's changes? I don't know. You should tell me that. You're not making this clear. So, I'm not quite sure. But, yeah. There's a lot of really interesting stuff here. I, I'm actually really enjoying it. Uh, oh, look at this little grid that you can... Uh, uh, no, I'm, I'm 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 putting Lance to the test. I'm just talking about little grids and how cute they are. That doesn't help you. Can you imagine the grid, Lance? I don't think so. How my games are distributed in the Board Game Geek rankings. So, what does that mean? How my games are distributed in the BGG rankings. So, my Gloomhaven... Oh, this must be the top 100 of Board Game Geek, and it's showing, of the top 100, how many games I have. Looks like I have about 30%. Um, designers. Which designers have the most games? Uh, my Yeah, again, it's Steffenfeld, Feld, Uwe Rosenberg, Reiner Knizia, number three, Pfister, number four, and Michael Kiesling, number five. I, I support that. publisher. Which games were games published in? All righty. Um, well, it's, it's the newer. Uh, in my collection... 49 games from 2020, 45 from 2021, 57 from 2019, 46 from 2018, and it just gets lower and lower. The, I mean, because games just keep getting better. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, apparently, I mostly, in the weight thing, uh, you know, uh, dabble in the... Uh, 89 of my games are between 2 and 2.24 on the BGG. Um, yeah, and yep, that, that seems to be my light to medium is where I live. Although I think a lot of people would consider things that board gaming considers light to be medium. It's like that whole thing is skewed a little bit uh, because of the existence of super hardcore things, and there are so many super hardcore voters. And probably the majority of people who actually rank this are people who diminish a proper medium game as a lightweight game because it's not an 18xx game. So I don't know how much I believe that stat, really. Categories and mechanisms. What's the most common type of game in my collection? Most common? Card game. Which... That is a that, that that is not a... Card game is not a mechanism. Economic uh, is number two. City building, number three. Fantasy, number four. Dice, number five. Dice and card game, those are bad because so many games are listed as card games because they have three cards or dice because they have three dice. Um, yeah, but that's interesting. Economic, so I'll throw those out. Economic, city building, and then fantasy. Again, yeah, I'm not surprised. I, if I'd guessed, if you'd asked me, do I have more fantasy than sci-fi, I would have guessed fantasy. Um, although I love sci-fi. Alrighty. Publishers. Which publishers have the most? Uh, Lookout Games, then Tasty Minstrel at number two. Hans and Klug, number three. Z-Man, number four. Pegasus, number five. How many of my collection breaks down by count, both officially and uh, community voted? I don't quite understand that. What does that mean? See how their collection breaks down. Who are they? Are they me? Or they are my games, aren't they? See how my games... How, no, how my collection breaks down by count, both official and uh, community voted. I don't understand that one. But that was fun. I'm going to keep this open. After I'm done, I'm going to go and uh, probably play with it a little bit more. Uh, and thank you very much, Henrik, for pointing that out. That was very neat. Um, everybody should do this with their collection, if, if they have kept their collections up to date. Uh, that's Geek... Can you just go to Geek Group? Yeah, I need all that other stuff. If I just go to Geek group.app Will that take me to it? Yeah. Just go to geekgroup.app, folks. That was a lot of fun. There was a lot of really cool stuff there. And I think that's it. And next up, we got to go get Jen for some more game questions. So hang on, everybody. And we'll be right back. Okay, everybody. We are back. Jen is here. Uh, prove to the folks you're here, honey pie. For folks who are looking. I forgot to actually uh, put the little picture of Jen. There she is. <laughs> All right. So, we are now going to continue with some gaming-related questions that I struck me that Jen might have something to say about. We will see. And then afterwards, yeah, you got me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's the Halloween edition. Yes,
0: yes, Jen's very... We just played a Halloween-y type game, so Jen's feeling in a very spooky mood. But anyway, um... <laughs> Okay, Gerald asks, which of these game worlds would we rather live in? Honey Pie? Yes. Dungeon Pets, the world of Dungeon Pets, yep. or the world of Charterstone?
2: Charterstone.
0: Do you remember Charterstone? Yeah,
2: I love Charterstone. Right? Yeah, we had our little groups and our camps, like six of them around there. Yes. Some okay, yep. Things. You remember it. You remember it. Yep. I, I love Charterstone.
0: So you would rather live in the Charterstone world than the Dungeon Pets world?
2: Uh, yeah. Cleaning up poop. Not not as much fun. <laughs> That's
0: true. There was no poop. There was no fecal matter at all in Charterstone <laughs> at any point. And we played through the entire game one and a half times, the entire campaign. So um, I think I would be inclined to agree with that as well. Uh, actually, would I? I mean, they're, they're very, very similar. They're both just cute, cartoony, fantasy places. Surely one uh, big plus for Charterstone is there's no overt uh, example of any strife or conflict in the world. Whereas... The fundamental underlying message of Dungeon Pets is right. There's a lot of people over there killing and dying and stuff like that, and um, you know slaughtering our cute little pets when they eventually ra- raid our dungeons and stuff like that. So there's a fair bit of violence that is never really addressed in the Dungeon Pets universe, whereas Charterstone seems to be a wonderful egalitarian, um, uh, uh, you know, society. So I'm going to have to agree with that one. Next up, honey, would you rather live in the world of Fresco or Kanban? Fresco, of course, you know very well, yeah, uh, which is basically Kanban? saying would you like to live in Renaissance era Italy or France, or would you like to live in Kanban, which is the world of today? Um, Kanban is a game about uh, like manufacturing. Yes, that's a good job. Yes. Yeah. It was about overseeing the uh, development and production of cars in a in an all-in-one super factory where the design and everything was done and you so, had Sandra who was our manager who was like you know yeah. cracked the whip and we had to give uh, you know progress reports and meetings and stuff like that well, so in terms of the world it's no brainer um, it is always better to live in the future than the past.
2: Yeah, but I, what would I rather be doing with myself?
0: I think that's really the underlying question. Yeah. Would you rather live the life of your character in Fresco? Yeah. You know, painting and going to the theater at night, occasionally getting depressed because you work too hard, or would you rather work in the Kanban automotive factory?
2: I would definitely rather live in Italy.
0: In the Renaissance, rather than. Um, it could, I mean, Kanban could take place in Italy today. Uh, it, could, it could, be an Italian uh, car it could be. Although yeah. considering its Kanban, I imagine I mean, it could be, or it could be in in Japan or America mm. or England or whatever.
2: Yeah. Well, no, I think uh, the whole fresco universe is is.
0: So you my... want to poop in a bucket? If we're getting back to the the poop question, because <laughs> that's what you're saying. That's how I'd rather live my life: pooping in a bucket rather than a toilet. <laughs>
2: um. Well, no. It's so it's the world.
0: Uh, he said the world
2: no I wouldn't I wouldn't want to sit around and be in a car automotive place
0: because you get to go home <coughs> and poop in a toilet and watch TV <laughs> as opposed to go home poop in a bucket and um, you know once in a great while get to go to the theater I I obviously I, yeah there's the romantic question I mean really the question there is what job would you rather have would you rather be a, a you know a professional,
2: artist. Yeah.
0: Maybe um, I would rather Sistine be Sistine Chapel ceiling painter. Or would you rather be a manager in an automotive manufacturing company? Yeah,
2: I'd definitely rather be an artist. Big yeah. surprise.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Um he would totally It still be- strikes me. I mean, that's a lot of work. Getting up on that rickety scaffolding, spending all day with your arms up above like that, that is that's hard. that is tiring. That yeah. is super tiring. That's I, like we, a survivor challenge right there.
2: I could do that. I'd be the stained glass person.
0: He <laughs> didn't say the fresco expansions on you. Oh, I was just talking base fresco.
2: Well
0: Um, you know, having to get up super early. Um, to
2: get the best pigments. Yep.
0: No, I think I'd rather work in a in a in a as a middle manager in an automotive factory than be a Renaissance era successful painter, because again,
2: my art yeah, is everything. For, for,
0: for, yeah, no, forgetting about you know quality of life. Once you're outside of the workplace, I, I, it's gonna be. I mean, I could die. It's not like there's any safety standards. You could die doing that. You
2: could die in the automotive factory There are a lot
0: more safety standards. They actually put a sign up on the wall saying how many days since the last accident, and they try to avoid accidents. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, everything about today's life is better than yesterday's life. Everything. Um, So that's always going to be the case for me. But Jen wants her muse. And the last one, the world of (laughs) Shadowrun Crossfire... Which remember is that yeah. kind of Blade Runner? Yeah, it's 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 a fantasy sci-fi yeah, future no. um, or Agricola. Yeah, you would rather be a, farmer? a subsistence farmer With in
2: chickens the... and sheep. Yes, and, I would.
0: And the, the constant danger of starvation. Yeah, I think you're having way too much of a romanticized view of what your life is actually going to be like. You're living in mud. It's a miserable, you know. Toil and okay, but yeah, it's a no-brainer. I want to freaking live in the future where there's magic like Harry Potter type stuff that just makes life freaking easy and um, There's like all kinds of cool neat science fiction stuff and You know I, I, Just everything about life is better. Yes. It's a it's a quasi dark dystopic future Yeah, but that dystopic future is outside the bounds of my little um, uh, You know two-bedroom apartment in Seattle um, you know, I know it's a no brainer. Of course, I'd rather live in a place where there's kind cool, um, you know, science and medicine that will make me, you know, and there's magic. There's actual magic. Okay. But you would rather just, you know, have think- an expected lifespan of 50. Uh, um, hope that the uh, midwife in town isn't too busy to actually see you and help you with your pregnancy where that incredibly, you know, I mean,
2: it's miserable. Or it could be idyllic. No, it won't be. I don't
0: know. All right. Well, there you go, uh, Gerald. I I thought this was going to be a much more straightforward <laughs> blowout, but no. You uh, you tweak Jen's buttons. Well chosen choices. All righty. I'm always going to go for comfort and convenience over romanticized view that it will not live up. You know, the reality will not live up to what you think it's going to be or you're what you're hoping it's going to is woman gonna be. Now, okay. To be fair, and
2: who likes to garden?
0: Well, okay. And to be fair, I am actually talking. He's saying the world of these games. Games. and these world of these games, very much abstract out a lot of terrible stuff. Yeah. I guess you could interpret it to say, "Oh yeah, no." In Agricola, it's fine. Um, you know, the worst thing that ever happens to you is sometimes you have to beg and you lose a few points. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, and all the bad stuff has been abstracted out of the game. And I'm retroactively reapplying it. Mm. If you go solely based on what is d- d- demonstrated in the worlds of these games. That is, you know, because to me, I'm, I'm putting in all this extra stuff. Right. In the world of the game, the only thing we see is lots of violence and killing in Shadowrun Crossfire. Yeah,
2: and in Agricola, there is none. Yeah. You occasionally have people come help you.
0: So, again, okay, yeah, because, again, we're applying not only do we live in this world to make this more interesting, but we're also saying who we have to be these people. And, uh, yeah, I have no illusions about, oh, it's really cool to be an action hero. No, it's terrible. (laughs) It's terrifying. You're very likely to die. You're in a lot of pain and you have to do terrible things. So with that in mind, I mean, if we broaden the expansion you say, no, not only am I in that world, but I have to do what I do in that world. Then yes, I guess I would probably choose Agricola too, because I don't want to run around killing people. Um... But I'd still pick Kanban. I would still rather be an employee of Kanban rather than an employee of the church in Fresco. And Charterstone, we agree. Yeah. All right. Okay. Wow, that's that, that went deeper than I thought it was going to. <laughs> well done, Gerald. And then, uh, next question, Honey Pie, 11, the soccer game, or the football game we played, you know, the football uh-huh. match game? Yes, yeah. He, uh, Gerald wonders, has 11 sparked enough interest that you might watch one or two World Cup matches this year? Nope. Nope. Not even a little bit. <laughs> Not even Ted Lasso, the greatest TV show of all time, yep. would uh, prompt I'm watching that in all us. of my
2: sports on Ted Lasso. Yes, we, yeah, we,
0: we Ted Lasso got it done. <laughs> Thanks. Um, nope, still nothing. Nothing. All righty. Okay, then we continue on to Alejandro, who points out that Board Game Geek Con has updated their COVID-related guidelines, and he gave us a link. I'll go on ahead and fire that up. I imagine it's. I mean, th- you know, th- these are from over a month ago because we're so late this oh, month. Oh yeah,
2: I did read that actually. Yeah. So what they're doing is. Oh, oh re- I'm
0: clicking on the wrong thing. There they're we go.
2: requiring masks. Uh,
0: um.
2: God, darn, there will be. A I'm gonna
0: bring it up. I'm gonna put it on screen. Oh. If okay. I can. Why? There we go. Finally. Um. So then I gotta come back over here to Chrome. Boop. Yeah. So the. I mean, I'm just maybe things have changed since the last time we looked. I don't think they have. So everybody has to sign this waiver um attesting to the fact that they are vaccinated or they've tested negative in the last 72 hours they uh they're you know the they, you know, they sign this thing saying they agree to abide by the health and safety protocols and they abide by the code of conduct and anti-harassment policies and um you, so you sign and date that apparently there are i think they are still um designating some places that are mask free there will be a few breakout rooms and open spaces that are mask optional Um, Now, in theory, if you go to one of those, you are still playing with people who have signed a piece of paper Saying that they have been vaccinated or they have um, had a clean test in the last seventy two hours. Um right. And I mean I think those are really the, the big issues. They you know, mask usage, they will be enforced. I mean nobody can have their mask kind of just like below their nose and their nostrils hanging out. They're gonna clamp down on that, and if you do it, you're gonna ask to leave. And, and all no kind bandanas.
2: Of so also they've got some information about
0: Oh really? Oh bandanas will not be acceptable. I yeah. didn't recognize that. That's pretty cool.
2: They'll have some available too, but do they have to cover the nose and mouth? And no gators. I mean, I mean, What's a gator? A gator is just like a buff.
0: Oh, isn't that a bandana? Is no. that the same thing a as a bandana? A bandana
2: is that is a the thing that like yeah. Rosie like, the Riveter wore
0: on her hair. Well, like or
2: like Cal- like Jesse so, James. Would, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not no bandanas. It has to be two layers. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the good news is, Bits and Pips <clears throat> who are
1: awesome. Bits and Pips have, are awesome.
2: Have made us some new masks because uh, Betsy. And Steve Ercolini very, very kindly sent us masks, what, almost two years ago now? Yeah. Jeez. Um, And we have been wearing the heck out of those. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're going to get some new ones for BGGCon.
0: Yeah. Um, Anyway, though, uh, so, yeah, there's been about enforcement, uh, and then there's like some Q&A type bits. But, uh, so, the question again, let me find the question again, was, does this update confirm your attendance to the event? Yes. Well uh, yeah, but we were aware of this when we decided to attend. Um yep. uh, we were aware that this was the approach they were going for too. This is the important one. Would there be any critique or suggestions from oh. our end to further enhance those guidelines? Would you like to uh, critique or suggest enhancements for those guidelines?
2: Um
0: I think there's one very obvious one.
2: Proof of vaccination. Require, yes,
0: proof. I i do not understand why they are going with the uh
2: because it's texas
0: it is texas but so um it's their little slice of texas it's it's you know it's it's their convention you know they could be requiring because uh it is very easy now uh both jen and i carry with our phones and if you don't carry with your phones you had your original um, printout you got when you got vaccinated. It's very easy to uh, provide proof of vaccination. I would have required that, and I don't know why they're not doing it. I don't see a good reason not to. I'll be honest. I'm a little disappointed. I kind of assumed that would just be a no-brainer. Why not do that? You just need a QR scanner. The people who already check you before you go in just hmm. quick QR scanner. I mean, the the outcome. The, you know, there's going to be fewer people this year, so I mean that creates a little bit more log jams, but it's not the end of the world. Um, and it's just only to get your badge in the first place. Once you've gotten your badge and they've seen, yep, you have gotten vaccinated, or you have forged a document, which I know exists, but it's really not very common. Um, you know. And I, I don't see why anybody would go through all the trouble to forge a document when it's so easy to do. Um, and, quite, and if you're the type who said, well, I refuse to vaccinate... You weren't going to come anyway just out of principle because you are vehemently opposed to um, this infringement on your freedom. So you're not going to come to BGG anyway. So I would definitely 100% require proof of vaccination to get your badge. And without that, you can't go through the door.
2: Yeah, I just went and did a um, glassmaker's weekend up at Pilchuck. And yeah. it was required. You you had to show your vaccination information. And yeah. that, that allowed everybody there to relax. Yep. Everybody was vaccinated.
0: And as a result, they didn't make you wear masks, right?
2: Um, there were staff members, mm-hmm. which I I did not check to see if they were vaccinated, but just.
0: But you you can assume. Yeah. yeah,
2: but still to to be.
0: Oh, staff members were masks, but the attendees were not.
2: in our own spaces.
0: I don't know what that means.
2: We had a we had a room that we were working in, so all of us who were there attending the glass convention didn't <clears throat> have to wear masks. Right. In our dorms or. Um,
0: when, so you're saying you did have to wear masks. When did you have to wear masks?
2: We wore masks because there was a different group there in a different um, doing hot shop stuff.
0: Oh, a, a different convention.
2: Yep, and I don't know what their requirements were. Okay. So when we were.
0: Oh, when you were just walking around, yeah. you know, in the confines of the hotel or what? Yeah, of course. Yeah,
2: or yeah. in the um, yeah. where the the, the restaurants lunchroom. or yeah, what have was, you? Yeah, 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 yeah of if course. You're standing in line waiting for. You.
0: I don't understand why that's not the case here. That should totally be the case here. I appreciate it's extra work, but it's worth it. It's and not so, that much extra work, and it's not that much. Yes, you already have to go. You have to prove. You have to show ID, saying, "Look, this is who I am," so I can get the badge with my name on it. At the same time, you're showing your ID. Show your vaccination status. It's totally, and so it's kind of disappointing. Um, and for folks who are upset that we even asked this question, I, I decided to put it in here because it was board game geek related. I could have put it in the personal section, but hey, it's board game related. It's uh, one of the biggest conventions of the year, so that is what we would do. And I'm disappointed that BGG is not doing it. We'll still go. Because I yeah. love Scott Alden, just a little, little let down. Okay, Shannon loves the content, especially on our show. How effective, Shannon asks, was Jen's sponsorship slots? Did she see a notable increase oh. in traffic or sales? Jen has sponsored the show twice. Um, one before we actually got you know uh, external sponsors, and then one again, we had yeah. one week where nobody showed up.
2: I think actually I've done two. Yeah, that's
0: what I'm saying. Yeah, you did twice.
2: Two and then a third one with the Wit For the yeah, you did a
0: contest giveaway as well. Yeah. Yep.
2: Okay. So um, yeah, I would say I got a lot more traffic to my Etsy site. Hmm. Um, so that was really good. Um, I was doing really targeted offers. Yeah. And so I think people who wanted that particular thing definitely took me up on it. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll, you know, if you're not if you weren't in the market for that particular thing, which it wasn't player markers, it was jewelry. Mm-hmm. So um. But I, I appreciate everybody coming and having a look.
0: I, I, I mean, I, you didn't know this question was here, so you don't have your numbers available. But I remember, mainly I remember from the following week was I had to go to the post office a lot. <laughs> uh, it seemed like I, I had to go every single day, where normally I maybe go once or twice a week. So yeah. to me, that's a, uh, a 60% uptick. But that's not very uh, scientifically accurate. Yeah, and unfortunately, do you remember that was, what the numbers were?
2: No, and that was a couple months ago now. Yeah. So I'm I don't, but I do remember that I got a huge um, increase in people looking, which to me is definitely a win because even if they didn't buy right then,
1: yeah,
2: um, they it's in their mind now maybe for Christmas or who knows what. Yeah. So definitely worth doing.
0: Yeah. So, uh, any uh, board game publishers who happen to be listening to the show, <laughs> hey, FYI, there's a testimonial. Um, I do know the uh, the Fun Again. You know, they're they're one of the, our two recurring sponsors, and uh, the two times they have sponsored so far, they wrote us afterward and said they saw a massive increase in sales, uh, a very very big. You know, in in the games that Ruel and I talked about that we were particularly interested in. Um, so that's cool. So yeah. Uh, well, you know, advertising works. Um, <laughs> go figure. And anyway, though. Uh, let's see. I think that was it from Shannon. Errol. First of all, I don't think you can answer this first question, honey pie. Ryan Lockett is one of Errol's favorite designers, and is working on getting a full collection of all uh, Ryan's designs. Question one. Could we order our top five favorites of his games?
2: Can you give me a... That's going to be the
0: tricky thing. Um, let's see. I'll come back over here and I will say near and far. I mean, that's the thing. You're not going to, I mean, maybe you'll recognize them if I just put pictures of them. Right. So that's I need to get me. all of his games. I'll show you a picture. Right. So near and far above and below sleeping gods. aisle
2: Well,
0: that's not all of them. Um, right. So let's get the old Chrome back. We're opening up all right. ah, this stupid thing. I don't care about expansions, right? If I sort it of by rank, it'll get rid of the expansions, right? So, near, far, above, and below, sleeping gods, isle bound. We've never played Empire of the Void. We did, we do have eight minute Empire. I read that as vampires, <laughs> vampires of the Void. Yep, uh, that's
2: that game still influencing yeah.
0: me. <clears throat> Which one?
2: The one we just played, the rolling. Oh, yeah, the you're monsters. still got
0: vampires on the brain, yeah. Yep. All righty, uh, I think. Are we we haven't played Mega. Did we play Mega We did play Klondike Rush. Just gonna open them really quick so Jen can see pictures of all of them. Okay, so uh, near and far, uh, you're definitely gonna know this one, Honey Pie. That is the one we're traveling the world to go through books. Uh, uh, you were I was the robot kid with the glass shard. You were the the the, the guard with a with a dark past who is trying to and you and, and you fill up all the the tents. Yeah, you're racing to get all the tents filled. All right. So that's one um, above and below is an earlier one where we are um, you know, uh, you know, building above, and we, we had workers when the workers they, you know, they, they oh, yeah. go into the tire, they eventually slide back over. And um, we're basically trying to build a bunch of buildings that do different things, but you could also go below. And it had, I mean, both of these had little story snippets as well. This one had very simple ones, uh, near and far had bigger ones. And you're you building either below or you're building above, and you're, you just keep um, the workers are kind of on a, uh, on a, uh, a conveyor belt of okay they work and then they, and then they come back and they're tired or they're injured and they eventually slide back over so they can work again so that was uh, sleeping gods is the most recent one this is one where we're the crew on the boat oh, and yeah. we're sailing around and there is that combat game where you have to okay well I'm gonna target this one and the co- damage is gonna like you know cross over to the next one you know because all the monsters are like kind of in a row and you're trying to do like a little Tetrisy thing yeah, but but mostly we, we go around and we uh, let's see if there's a picture of that. It's very important. It's like really the heart of the game. Um, we did a live playthrough. Remember, when, when, you, we each of us have to control multiple characters. Yeah. The captain, we control both.
2: I'm just not remembering the text.
0: Why is there no picture of it? Come on, people, put a picture of. What is 80% of the co- gameplay of this game? And no one is going to show a picture, and you're not going to remember without a picture. Jeez, Louise, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Come the freaking fracking on, all right? I'm going to go to Rado. Sleeping Gods. Um, and the live playthrough we did a few months ago. <laughs> the uh, most hated playthrough we've ever done. Why? I got more thumbs down than ever before Why? because we wore masks. Oh, remember we wore masks? Yep. people hated that so much, Got so much anger. But anyway, um, yes, remember combat. All the bad guys are in a uh, row yes. and you and you do yes. you know, yeah, okay. Yep.
1: Yep. why
0: there's no picture of that on board game geek but whatever. So, you've got that one. Okay. All right, then we've got Isle of Sky. This one we have not played for many, many years. Not since we were back in Malta. This is, we were like uh, privateers. We're sailing around from island to island. This is obviously a randomly generated world. We're having events. It didn't really have storytelling. At least when we played the prototype, it didn't have storytelling type stuff. Um, but you, again, you built up a crew on the ship. Uh, and instead of getting hurt, they'd be down in the, in the basement. You we're collecting fish, dealing with monsters. And it's basically like a pickup, or, you know, a... Uh, what do you call it? Pick up and deliver game because we're sailing around, picking up stuff in one place, taking it to another place, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's that one. Then there is Eight Minute Empire, wow, which uh, we haven't played for many years as well. This was a all right. Sorry, there's a game that yeah. picks up where um, you know we're, we're basically doing area control. It had nice, really cool little pieces that represent our buildings and whatnot. But the main thing is every round we're grabbing a new card, adding it to our card, and doing what that card says, and building up, you know, bigger and stronger. I, I'd be shocked if you remember this game at all, because we haven't played it for many, many years. She's happy, though. <laughs> uh, City of Iron. This one we didn't keep, because it was a deck... This is the only other deck builder in existence, honey, that has the... You don't reshuffle your deck when you bring your cards oh. back. So um, it's because of this game and Aeon's In that you ask in every single deck builder, do I have to shuffle my deck? But yeah, you're not going to remember this at all. I have to admit, I kind of don't... Or, I mean, Yeah, I kind of remember it. And we never played the updated version. Or did we play? No, we didn't play the updated version. There's Artifacts, Inc. This was a little dice-rolling game. I don't remember this one as well. We didn't keep it. All right. it look at all familiar to you? If not, it's not going to make your top five. The Ancient World. We played this. um, uh, We played the updated version of it, too, I think. This is the one where there's the gigantic... You know, the the big monsters that are coming. Uh, Yeah. It's it's kind of... You know what? I, I, I led this saying, Jen's not going to be able to remember. She's not going to be able to remember. I thought maybe showing her everything, including the the Yeti game, Klondike Rush. You don't remember any of these, do you?
2: Uh, the problem is that they they have the same art style.
0: Well, of course, they are the yeah. same art. Yeah, yeah. They're,
2: they're beautiful, but they yep. do tend to merge a little bit in my mind. Right.
0: Okay, so Jen can't answer that question. I shouldn't have wasted everybody's time trying to get her to... I will answer the question uh, near and... F- no, it's not out yet. Um, now or Never is the best. Now or never, his latest game, which we did a co- which covered a few months ago, is gonna be amazing. Near and Far is number two. <sighs> Sleeping Gods is number three. Above and Below is number four. Islebound is number five. I mean, those are the big boxes. Those are what everybody thinks about. And then you get into the smaller stuff. 8 Man of Empire is just surprisingly one of the few area control games we really like. Um And Rome, we really liked. Rome basically just takes the combat from Sleeping Gods and makes a whole game out of it. I might actually put Rome above 8-Minute Empire now that I think about it. And then, um, yeah, what's it? Uh, Artifacts, Inc. would be next. And then Ancient World, unfortunately, Ancient... No, Ancient World, even with the updated one, was still just way too cutthroat for us. So I would then put City of Iron, even though it had some balance issues that we thought, anyway. And then Ancient World at the bottom. Okay, sorry folks, that took so long. Sorry folks who are listening. Um, But anyway, we're now going to move on to the thing I thought Jen could answer um because you point out uh you know variations in uh, ryan lockett's games. sometimes they have emergent stories and sometimes they have very specific storytelling beats so the question is honey what are your thoughts on emergent story versus implicit and uh what is uh, your favorite game or memory that leans on emergent story so what emergent i haven't even read what he said but emergent story means the story grows out of the actions we choose mm-hmm. it's just kind of you know, the game is designed for us to tell our own story. As opposed to an implicit story means, oh, no, no, the developers, the designers wrote a story and we are going to play our way through that story. So, thoughts. Emergent or implicit, which do you prefer? <clears throat> I'm going to make, while you think about that, I am going to make sure I'm actually uh, interpreting because I could actually read his email. That would <laughs> that would be a polite thing to do. Uh, emergent story, not implicit. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've got that right. Yeah. So...
2: Uh- well, I think I'm going to say emergent because that mm-hmm. definitely customizes your mm-hmm. experience to your game. So, And that's one of the things like when you take pictures of games and you want me to remember them, you always take them from your point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think you should take them from my point of view if you want Then them you can to... take the pictures. Well, okay. Maybe I will.
0: All right. Maybe you will. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, so... where you're sitting, it creates all the glare in the picture. That's why I mostly take them from my perspective.
2: Fair enough. Um, right. So I think, yes, I have enjoyed stories that, you know, are, that was our board at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Charterstone and yeah, Pandemics. And...
0: Well, then following on, what is your favorite game slash memory that leans on emergent storytelling? What is something you can think of from any game that's like, oh, wow, yeah, you know, that, that was a thing that happened unique to us because of the circumstances of that game and the choices we made. So that's the problem. Emergent stories are much harder to remember unless they're really, you know, cool
2: Yeah, I mean, I know that we've talked about games that have been really amazing at the time Mm -hmm. when we were playing them. Um, I think Charterstone actually had some pretty cool stuff happen.
0: Yes, but I mean, those are implicit. Those are, what you are remembering from Charterstone are the things where, okay, when you get to Chapter 7, this thing's going to happen. Open this envelope, bring this new thing out. That changes the function of this game. That's Mm -hmm. implicit. That's Ah. not a story. That is a story that was designed to happen as opposed to things that just kind of grow organically out of our experience. See, the problem is, I I'm I'm agree with Jen. I, I, I love a good story. I mean, I, I do like uh, implicit storytelling in games, but I prefer Emergence as well. It's kind of part of my background as a video game designer. But the thing is, we play literally hundreds of games every year. Hundreds. And it is impossible. If we were normal people, and we played maybe five or six games a month, you know... They played on the weekends, and that was it. I'm sure the um, you know the emergent stories that we have experienced many, many times over the years would stick with us more. But it's kind of impossible for us to remember that kind of stuff. And so what we tend to remember are the you know pandemic legacy season one when the thing happened. You know, I mean which are implicit or you know they're designed Does't make them better? Oh no, but okay, I do have one. I do have one implicit. And it is, interestingly, from Pandemic Legacy Season 1. Pandemic Legacy has big story beats. You know, big, whoa, the whole world just changed. But probably the most uh, impactful story, or emergent, uh, also happened there, which was... I think it was Riyadh. Um, throughout the entire game, had oh, yeah. always been, you know, just through dumb luck of the card draw, uh, the epicenter of where the infections kept. And there's a system where the more a city gets hit, the closer and closer it falls into into complete chaos, chaos and yeah. disorder. And you know, it falls. And I remember we fought so hard to keep that city alive. And there came a point in the game, 100%, because of the choices we made, it had nothing to do with the story. Where we had to, well, we will lose this session of this game if we don't let millions of people die. And <laughs> it still hits me to this day if I think about it. So, and um, now to be fair, the developers, Matt Leacock and Rob Davio, they designed the game for that sort of thing to happen, to come about in an emergent fashion. So that's kind of like a, an interesting midware. You know, okay, we know we want these things to happen. Let's try to set the stage so it seems like it emerges naturally when, in fact, they were pulling strings behind the scenes to make those kinds of moments happen. So maybe that's the best. Maybe, um, you know, uh, a thing where, okay, we want to feel like this happens because of the player's choices, but we've also architected it so it's likely to happen is the best way to go because you can have your cake and eat it too. Have insanely, um, you know, scripted uh, emotional beats that feel like. And so maybe that's, I think, the best way to go. Uh, I've given you enough time, honey. Can you think of anything?
2: Oh no, I was just busy rel- reliving.
0: Me. <laughs> yeah, we'll never forget that. All righty, uh, number three. Do we prefer campaign stories or one-shot scenario-based games? And this is this is getting away from the origin. Ugh. If if they create a story, uh, let's see. Uh, it was Errol, right? Yeah, Errol is starting to prefer the latter. The latter, as they don't get games to table as often. So. Uh, games, can, mm. if they're going to have written stories, they can have a campaign, like the, the Ryan Lockets we were talking about earlier. Um, well, actually, above and below is a one-off. In, th- in theory, there's like little story beats that happen, but there's no connective tissue. It's not like, oh, we finished this chapter, let's move on to the next chapter. Whereas there's more recent stuff, hey, we do the chapter A, then B, then C, then D. Mm. Which do you prefer?
2: Um, well, again, I think if we were normal people, I would probably enjoy the longer storylines more. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, again, because we play so many games and we're always moving on to the next thing. For sure. I think that I don't actually get as emotionally involved as I maybe could if we didn't play quite so much.
0: Yeah. But I mean, that doesn't make. Whether. I mean, so you're saying because we at most will play a game two or three times. And that means we will inevitably end with a cliffhanger. We're going <laughs> to walk away from this game now. Uh, <laughs> and we'll never know what happened because uh, we got to move on and cover the next thing. You're saying that because. Or, I mean,. You're, you're saying you would rather not have that happen. You would rather... If, if, if a new Gloomhaven-style game... Or if, yeah, the new Gloomhaven came in that we and we're going to just play a couple of games of it, three games of it, see what's new. You would rather every single story that we saw was a complete... Has a beginning, middle, and end. No trailing bits. Nothing leading to the next story. No hint of a bigger, broader narrative.
2: No, I don't think that.
0: So then you do prefer, even if you don't get to experience
2: it. Yeah, I guess knowing that there is more out there.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And knowing...
2: Well, someday we'll go back. But it is satisfying to have a complete mission.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's it's called episodic versus serialized storytelling in TV.
2: But is it a single camera? <laughs> oh,
0: that Gosh. is a different television <laughs> reference. So, um So you would prefer serialized to episodic, even if you never actually get to see the full serial. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Okay, that's what I figured. I'm, I'm, I'm the same. Okay, then we move on to Ethan how do we approach games like Concordia, the, the base game, putting aside expansions, that don't have any setup mechanism that could help players form initial strategy? This is a fake on, because we've talked about this in the past. Yeah. I think in recent episodes that we prefer a game that isn't quite so sandboxy, that gives us a direction. Especially, how would you help a new player learn the game? Thanks, give the good work. Uh, looking forward to the next R&R. Alrighty. Um, so, <clears throat> right off the bat, I would say that Concordia does give you some initial strategy. It's very specifically comes from the fact that um, cards have different costs. Uh, you know, one of the things you're going to do, there's no way you're not going to play Concordia and not buy new cards. There's no way you're going to play Concordia and not buy new cards. Cards further to the right are more expensive. Cards to the left are cheaper. And um, you're going to want to buy some cards sooner or later, and that is going to affect you. I mean, certainly when I sit down to play Concordia, I'm already thinking about, even if I don't buy cards until the third round, what card am I going to get? Am I going to wait for this one that's way to the right to get cheaper? Because hopefully Jen will buy some. Or am I going to buy one of these? Um, knowing that is already giving me a direction. Um, I don't know that Jen plays like that.
2: I'm just looking at what which one Concordia is.
0: I can put it back on the screen if well, you like. I've got it. All right. Okay. Jen's got her own. Yeah. So, uh, but then I can't show the people what you're looking at. No, right. no, 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 Concordia. <laughs> Alrighty. Brain Chrome back up. Concordia. <clears throat> yes. Honey pie. So we have not played Concordia for probably a year or so. Um, it, this is the game where you are, you know, spreading. We have, we have England maps and Italy maps and all kinds of maps, <clears throat> but you start out with um, one boat and one person, oh, yeah, they move you around, a bunch of them. and and you're trying to build all, I think they're called colonies, in all these different areas, putting your buildings on it. And um, But another big thing you're doing is, I mean, you're doing that with a hand of cards. These cards, you know, the Senator and the Mercator and all of that. And you start with just a basic hand. And one of the most important cards is it the Prefect, where if you play a card I really like, I can play the Prefect, which then copies your card. So it's all about timing, gathering the resources so you can build more buildings and expand your dominion over whatever the map is. And um, Ethan's point is, you know, at the beginning of the game, it's an empty map. Everybody has one land-based person, one ship-based person, the exact same cards. You know, it's not like you have a deck of cards and you drew three of them and you have to make a choice. All your cards are available. The only thing that changes from game to game is the cards that you can buy. And for me, that's enough. Right off the bat, I'm thinking, well, okay, um, you know... I, I'm already thinking about, well, because remember, the cards have a multiple function. They have what they do, but then at the end of the game, they trigger your scoring. So you really want to focus on more Mars cards, yep. you know, that kind of stuff. So there's like a set collection element, too. And for me, if I were trying to help somebody learn Concordia, I would point that out. I would say, look, I know it's big. I know there's a lot of stuff. But one thing to think about is, sooner or later, you're going to want to get more cards. You have more power. And this one's very cheap. And you have the resources to buy it. Maybe you want to do that. You know, That's probably what I would suggest. You know what? You could do anything. Maybe the first thing you want to do is buy a card, because now that you have this card, you have a direction. I've got a thing. I've got two senators instead mm-hmm. of one. I am better at this. So I think there's always, always something. It is. I mean, a game that has literally nothing in it that is unique or variable from game to um, from game to game. That's actually really rare. Chess is like that. There are very few true chessy style experiences where there's not something. That you can do, and so me, I would just focus on that. I don't know if you have uh, thing to say along those lines. No, I think now that's... that uh, Concordia has come back to
1: you.
2: Yeah, that's good. I think it's exactly, yeah, because you got to work with what you're given.
0: Well, I mean, in the case of, I mean, but again, I don't think that's the case with you, or maybe it is. I mean, what am I saying? You're a better player than me since you win 63% of the time. Um, so would you say that's the case for you that you are? Well, I don't know what else to do, but hey, there's those cards. So we just always look for it. We always look for okay, what's the thing I'm going to leverage. Yeah. All right. So, and you can do it in Concordia. You can do it, Ethan. All right. And Ethan said some more stuff. Uh, all right. DTT. All What's right. That? Oh, it was, it was some words of appreciation. Thank you very much. And oh, some words of appreciation for wearing the shirts. Thank you very much, Ethan. I appreciate your appreciation. righty. And that's it, folks. We are now moving on to the personal questions, which means some of you We're going to say adios, because we already dipped a bit into personal stuff there. um, And there's going to be more personal stuff. We're done with game-specific things. And so, if that's what you're here for, as always, thanks very much for listening or watching. Send your questions to questions at rotto.com. we got no show if you don't help us. And uh, talk to you later. So long, bye-bye. And if you're staying, if you'd like to hear about me and Jen as people, hang on. And we'll be right back. everybody. Welcome back. Jen is here. She's got her laptop in case we get into any boring video game questions, (laughs) uh, which I think there are some, or some some TV questions that Jen won't care about. But her first question, from Matilda, I think this this one is to Jen. Uh, We both love to travel. Have we ever considered uh, any program like HomeExchange.com or LoveHomeSwap.com? Bearing in mind that any arrangement can be made for your beloved animals, would you consider it in the future? I don't know what these are. I assume you do.
2: I have this vague idea of what they are, but I have not looked into them. I'm
0: gonna assume it's like that old Jack Black um, Kate Winslet you uh, know the the two couple, the the two women who swapped houses and they both fell in love with dudes and she went to England. I, forget, I, forget, I can't remember who the other character was. Oh man, I remember the name of the movie. But anyway, I assume this is you, it's like you turn your house, you you swap houses with people. That's obviously what it is. Yeah. Um,
2: That's interesting, actually. I hadn't um, thought too much about it because usually we're living in the house that we're living in.
0: Well, that's the point, yeah. And um, we're we're
2: living where we want to live. Right.
0: No, I mean, that's the thing. I don't think there would be any interest. Nobody's going to want to come and vacation where we are right now. We are not next to anything, yeah. even remotely close to anything, that is of tourist value.
2: Well, there's casinos.
0: <coughs> yes. We, we, there, we, there, we, we live uh, next to some Indian... So, there, there are some nearby casinos because of some Indian reservation stuff. I don't think... well, maybe, maybe people would want to do it for that. I guess so. We're within walking distance of a few casinos. Um, but uh, when we were in Malta, I yeah. guarantee you, people would
1: have, people
0: would have killed... And we could have gotten oh yeah let's stay for free in Japan let's stay for free in New Zealand let's stay for free in um, Nova Scotia uh, anywhere because people would have loved to swap for oh we get to stay in a in an awesome two bedroom apartment right next to the uh, See? the 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 Mediterranean for a week yeah so hmm. why did we never do that because we traveled when we were there
2: yeah I don't know just uh, didn't think about it would I you guess. well
0: I mean I'm wondering would you not want to do because you don't want strangers in your house. While you're gone,
2: oh um, well, I mean, we did have people come stay in our house. Like Katrina came down, right? Katrina yeah, those were friends.
0: Yeah, and they. Uh. Yes, yeah, we we I think twice. You had Katrina come down and, and house sit. Yeah, And she and she, looked and, after and, the chickens. and she and her husband got a, a holiday out of it, and we didn't have to, you know, we we didn't have to bother our neighbors to take care of the chickens and stuff like that.
2: Yeah. Um, I think though, Katie still took on the pups, didn't she? We still had them probably stay yeah. with Katie. But anyway. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I that would be something I would consider in the future. I suppose we'd have to have a desirable area that we're living in, and we're yeah. thinking about. Uh,
0: uh, assuming we did have a desirable area, I yes. uh, see. I would think you would dismiss this out of hand. I would think under no circumstances would you want total strangers coming into our house. In our absence.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, and I, I, I think that a would just be. An, nut. Yeah. I, yeah. That's right. I would just think it'd be an instant no go for you under any circumstances. I assume that this is a site where, oh, look, I, you know, that people rate each other. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the people rate the what? place they're staying, but they also rate the guests that they had in their houses. I got back, everything was fine. They seemed to be, they, they, they left it cleaner than I left it. You know, that kind of stuff. I assume that you uh, get those sorts of things going on. So you can see the rating of people. Yeah. Um, but okay. even still, even in that case, I don't think you would be comfortable with a complete and total stranger who you will never meet and never see again staying in our house for a week.
2: Yeah, but that's, that's similar to Airbnbs. People, we've stayed in people's houses. Yes.
0: I don't imagine you would ever do an Airbnb. Yeah. I- so that's the thing. I, I can't imagine this would ever work for you because you're such a privacy nut.
2: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I'm just looking at their site.
0: All right. Well, Jen will continue to dig in, Matilda, but I, I'd be totally fine with it. I, I'm an open book. Look at me. Look at this show. <laughs> um, would you like to see our bank receipts? But no. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, Jenna is a very different beast and probably a wiser beast as a result. All right. Uh, while Jen's looking up, she might circle back. We're going to go on to Lance who, um, in response to Lance's questions about concerts, I said people develop their taste in music when they're in high school. I don't know if I was like I mean, I I think I, I think that's largely true. I mean but obviously people continue to develop over time. It's just you know, When we get to high school, that's the first time we're making choices for ourselves in our lives. And I think those are very, very you know, fundamental to who we are. And I think people tend, in my experience, people tend not to let that go. That people's favorite bands tend to be the ones that they decided for themselves in high school. And that informs their musical journey. It's the beginning of their musical journey. And the origin story is always the most important thing. Doesn't mean they can't... But anyway, maybe that's what you're going to talk about. I should read the rest of what you're saying. Um, because you disagree. If isn't it the case? You just want to, to talk that through lance manages a public radio station for a living and one of the stations is rock and hip-hop part of lance's day-to-day is talking of music about music with people well then lance you're more of an expert than me um right the thing that lance notices is with student employees that they do not have a very thought-out of music oh i completely agree with that they just like what they like sure I, i'm sure there's gonna be some kids who really get into it but for the most part they just oh whatever happened to be on the radio now, although that's changed, right? Whatever happened to be on the streaming stations, whatever happened to be on Spotify is what I tended to like. But of course, in our age group, it was what was ever on you know, top 10 radio is what they tended to gravitate towards. Uh, let's see. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm interrupting you. I'm interrupting you. You're not even here. All right. So Lance continues. The thing that Lance has noticed uh, with, with the student employees is they, they do not have a thought out appreciation of music. That developed when they were in their 20s. And you notice with, that with students as well. You know what? I'm going to put high school and early 20s. I'm over 50. To me, that's the same bucket. A 22-year-old is the same thing as a 17-year-old to me, quite frankly. They're all, their brains are all still developing. I mean, you know, young men's brains, they don't finish developing until they're in their mid-20s. You know, They're literally, their brain chemistry is still growing. All right, so that's why, to me, it's that's kind of still in the same bucket. Anyway, though, I've interrupted again. Everything is either incredible or it sucks, and they can't give you a reason for why, their opinions. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I would say that music that um, that Lance was into was when uh, when Lance was in high school, is stuff that he's gone back and appreciates now, but definitely not the music that he generally cares about. I think college might be a more normal time. to. And you know what? Yeah, I will grant that. You know what? Maybe high school lays the groundwork for college. But yeah, everything I said in high school is equally, if not more applicable in college. I will totally give you that. Uh, because it's the exact same things that are, are driving that kind of brain imprinting that we're going. Hey, I'm in high school, hey, I get to choose the music. I get to set the radio station now instead of... Because I grew up, as a kid, my parents, or mostly my dad, Left it on top 40 country and western for until I was 15 years old. That's all I listened to Conway Twitty and, um, you know, the Oak Ridge Boys. I could sing you verbatim every song, every top 10 hit. Um, you know, uh, Elvira, my heart's on fire. Elvira, uh, giddy up. You know, I, I know all that stuff. I don't like any of it. I, I don't know. I kind of have a nostalgia for it, but it's not something. And it's when I went to high school and I discovered a used record shop and I started listening to the Beatles. And um, you know, and, and the Beatles are still the most you know, elemental, important thing to me. Um, but yeah, I continued. I mean, and I, I don't know. Maybe I just peaked a little early. Because um, I mean, there was definitely other stuff I discovered, but you know, uh, Beatles are still in my soul in terms of you know musical impact. Um, But to me, you know, college wasn't as much of an impact for me. I mean, both Jen and I are college dropouts. (laughs) Jen got out after one year. I think I maybe did a couple more semesters maybe than you, can. and I eventually got out as well.
2: Well, I did a little bit more than a year, but yeah, I think yeah, we did an extra. So
0: semester I don't think yet. college had the same kind of, you know, cultural and spiritual and everything else impact on us uh, because we just didn't see it through. We we had, you know we, we kind of skipped. We went from okay, we're students to oh, we're we're, we're grown-ups now. We got we got jobs. We
2: have a house. We, yeah,
0: we, we got we have a mortgage. And
2: We have a dog.
0: And and so we're we're <laughs> we're done exploring our musical predilections now. Um, Let's see. Also, uh, Lance thinks it's cool to continue to develop your musical taste for your whole life. Oh, I completely agree. Never thought I would care about modern hip hop as much as I care about hardcore punk music, but that's what happened in his 30s, so who knows? I I, I, I didn't mean to be quite so dogmatic. Yes, I hope that everybody continues to grow and evolve. I I mean, uh, let's see. Actually, I don't really pay much attention to music now. What do I like?
2: well, like, so I listen to Pandora a lot. And yeah. I have a couple of stations that I love, 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 love. But and, sometimes... my, and for
0: folks who don't know, uh, station in Pandora means Jen has identified one song she likes. And she said, Pandora, make me a st- music station that plays music that is based on the rhythms, the syncope, the, you know, the, the vocal inflections. You know, give me more stuff that's like this. Yep. So what are the ones you listen to? Uh, Go Bigger, go, go Home. Go Bigger, Go Home.
2: Yep, that's my Probably my favorite one at the moment. Yep. Yeah. But um, I just love that. Actually, I was at the uh, chiropractor the other day, and they had one playing on there that that was just great. It was a really terrific station. And I asked her, you know, what is this a radio station or what? And she says, no, it's a Pandora station. She gave me the name of it. I'm like, put it in the thing. (laughs) I've got something new to Mm -hmm. listen to. But I think it's really important to to get off of my own channels and listen to whatever the top stuff is. Because that's the I'm 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 always interested in finding new stuff. Because then when I find a new song that I like, then I make a station off of that, and it goes off in a whole other direction. And I love it. I love that it's just not random stuff on the radio anymore. Mm, yeah, yeah. And the same ten songs.
0: Okay, uh, to Lance's observation. I mean, which is a kick off of my observation. Which honestly, Lance, you convince me. I think college for most people is a more. I mean. A, high school is the first step of the journey. College and early adulthood probably really solidifies. Although there are going to be exceptions, like me. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Your folks. What, what, uh, what, what does your dad and Nancy like? I bet you anything, their favorite music... I mean, I know for a fact, Nancy's favorite music is Elvis. She was a teenager when yeah. Elvis was the king of the world. And I believe if she had been a teenager in the roaring twenties thirties, Cab Calloway and even in late life would define what her favorite you know what's really deep down in her guts. Yeah. And again, I would I would extend from high school to college mm-hmm. age, but still those early days when our brains are literally still in a chemical forming. way forming. Yep. So what I, you of course worked in a record score in store. high school, store in high school. What how has your taste changed or evolved and how uh, fundamental uh, if your love of music is inspired by high school versus college versus now.
2: Um, I think the main thing that I have uh, changed as an adult is I don't want to listen to music that talks about stuff that I don't like. Mm-hmm. So, violence against women or...
0: Well, I don't think you ever like that.
2: Well, I know, but there's some catchy tunes out there mm-hmm. um, that are, you know, just kind of about...
0: Oh, you're, you're talking like the police. Um, I'll be watching you.
2: Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, that's
0: creepy. It's creepy. Uh,
2: there's another one. I, of course, it's not coming to my brain right now because I've got Elvira in my head. Thank you <laughs> You're very welcome. much for that. You're all this welcome. Is, this is why I cannot. I am so easily influenced. <laughs> I don't want to. But okay.
0: That. I mean, yeah. I yeah. I mean, I. So you're saying in high school, you did not have a problem with the police saying every breath you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you, which is the creepiest thing in the universe and just gross uh, and does not stand up today. Uh, And you were probably fine with it back then. I bet you weren't fine with it then too. I mean, knowing you, I bet you probably think, well, this is gross, isn't it? Or were you fine with that?
2: I, I, I never really liked the police, but... There you go. Um... Yeah, I just, I think but, I mean, there's well, a lot of stuff that just kind of infiltrates our brains that we don't necessarily pay attention to. And lyrics is one of those things. So to me, I want to be surrounded by positive sure. things that are being said. And
0: But I bet you about. anything, that would have been you in high school as well. Um, you were not listening to any, you know, Metallica. You were not, you know, no, exit light, inner night, take my hand, off to Never Never Land. I mean, that would, you'd would have nothing to do with that. You, I mean, I'm trying to think of what I know of you. Yeah. You loved Belinda Carlisle and the Go Go's.
2: Yep. And Brian Setzer Orchestra. And.
0: When did you discover Brian Setzer Orchestra? That really defines a big part, well, I think, Stray of your Katz. musical. Yeah, I, that yeah. was
2: probably junior high, high school. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I still love that kind of music. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. I mean,
0: I would almost go say it is your favorite kind of music. I would say, Lance, I think Jen is, uh, you know, I I think Jen, you know, developed her taste. um, When you went to college and in your early 20s, did your taste change at all? Did Spice Girls and Wannabe rock your world and change your musical outlook? No. I'm trying to think of stuff from our early 20s.
2: No, but um, I will say that Becky was listening to Pink Floyd and... Okay, yeah. um, you know, those guys, yeah,
0: that's her sister. Becky's a couple of years older than yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And uh, there's a couple songs that I liked from those albums, but I never took up that stuff. Mm-hmm. I never, that was just never my right. taste. You, of yep. No, thank you. Yep. Did not like it. Well,
0: well I mean, that's kind of darker and grim. I mean, I mean, I think you're just a poppy bubbly. You've always been drawn to that.
2: Yeah.
0: Probably. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, you love all about that bass by Megan Trainer. You love yeah. Megan Trainer. Yep. Yeah. That's a direct line back to Belinda Carlisle and the Go Go's. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, uh, you know, I I cannot imagine Megan Trainor didn't grow up listening to Belinda Carlisle. Or, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm so old now. I'm probably missing an entire whole gap. <laughs> um, the Bangles? I don't know. That's as much what I got off. But um, I, I think,
2: well, there's Jewel in the middle there.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, Jewel. Yeah. Um, you know, and Jewel I think was probably a big college uh, thing for you. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm. Tr- I'm tr- I mean. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I like music. I mean, I, there, I mean, there's actually a fair bit of hip-hop I like, too. Um, and, you know, particularly because in my late 20s, or no, it would have been my early 30s, I actually had, had to do a lot of research into that because I was going to be working on a game called John Singleton's Fear and Respect. And so I really super uh, dove deep into uh, the hip-hop of the day. I think DMX was my favorite artist. I really enjoyed listening to him. Um, but, so, yeah, I mean, I... I I don't know. I, the more I think about it, Lance, I'm still gonna. I, I will expand that. Um, you know, really influential thing to college. I just kind of dismiss it because college wasn't a big deal for us. But I, I do think people. I, I, we I, still I,
2: went through those years. Yes. Yeah,
0: I, I think you know. Yeah. Hey, if you fell in love with Led Zeppelin, if you just loved, if yeah. you were a child of the '70s and you happened to stumble across Led Zeppelin, that defines you. It still defines you to this day. Um, I, I think that's in the same way that Nancy, Jen's stepmom, her favorite artist is Elvis because did Elvis. She,
2: did she tell you that?
0: I, well, I know this because when I was showing her how she could set up, Oh look, you can use Pandora, you know, setting up streaming right. for her. Yeah. What do you want me to make? And she said, I don't know, make an Elvis station. And that's literally the first thing that came to her mind. Cause okay. I said, well, who's your favorite artist? And Elvis, you know. Well,
2: I mean we listened to a lot of Neil Diamond in my mm, in yeah. my childhood.
0: And that had a big impact on you too. And that was childhood. I mean, and yeah. you carry that you you absorbed that and you adopted that. Yeah, um,
2: I mean, I did go to an actual Neil Diamond concert as an adult. Yeah, I think by myself. <laughs> I don't think you were interested.
0: But I mean, okay, is there any new music? I mean, look, you listen to music a lot more than me. I generally don't listen to music at all anymore, yeah. unless Jen's got it on. Yeah. Um, can you think of anything you have heard in the last few years through Pandora, which does open you to other stuff that makes you say, "Oh, well, that's different," and I think I kind of like that. I don't think that's the case. I think the stuff, you know, I-, I think Andy Grammer. Is just again, yeah, um, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a poppy, snappy, poppy, poppy, upbeat, yeah. yep, um, singing
2: about positive stuff, yeah, yeah, that's probably true.
0: But I, I that's me a reflection of you as much as a reflection of the musical taste that you have developed. Um, okay, obviously, you we were both, uh, you know, teens in the 80s. What is your thought about Duran Duran style synth pop, you know? You know, I, I remember when high, in high school, I really got high on my horse and made fun of everybody listening to Duran Duran and everything else because those aren't real instruments; those are just wah wah boards or whatever. And I'm uh-huh. I'm I'm so superior to you because I listen to the Beatles and I listen to Dire Straits and all of that. Um, dire Straits is another huge one for me, and it's because. Uh, my dad listened to Dire Straits a lot in high school. And he'd, he'd gotten away from country and western and was really hot for Dire Straits, and so I still really love Dire Straits a lot. Probably my second favorite band. Um, and again, that's because it was my high school years. But um, I now, as you were saying, Lance, nowadays I appreciate 80s music so much more than I did at the time. I, I absolutely love it. It was kind of in the background hmm. from my uh, teen years, and I dismissed it. And I pushed it away because I thought I was better than it. But now I absolutely love it. Um, that that sound, that very specific 80 sound. Mm. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that.
2: No, I don't know. I mean, I, I go back and I have listened to some things that I used to love. And I just think, well, yeah,
1: <laughs> it's okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, hmm. a little toe-tapping. But n- nothing that resonates with me deeply anymore. Okay.
0: Well, I think we've hit that enough. We're moving on to Gerard, who says in episode seventy-six of the podcast we talked about Survivor, and Gerard—I mean, this is from a month ago—the Australian uh, Survivor, but uh, by far the new season has been a Gerard's favorite. He's super pumped, or no, no, Survi- Australian is is by far my favorite season. I'm super pumped for the new season. Survivor is my guilty pleasure. Is he Do- saying
2: the Australian one from like nineteen? Well, I don't. Know, he's.
0: I, I thought. I mean. We just watched, we've never watched Australian Survivor before, Gerald, or Gerard, Gerard. Sorry, guys, Gerald and Gerard. Ah, can one of you take on the name Jerry? Can you do me a favor? Uh, anyway, though, um, and then they both say, well, I'll be the Jerry, then they, all right. Um, yeah, we, we uh, watched the the most recent season of Australian Survivor. It's the first time we ever watched it, and um, what did you think, honey
2: Oh, I, was, I thought it was interesting. I enjoyed it. I, it wasn't as good as the American one.
0: Really, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was the best Survivor I've seen in years. I thought it was so much better. Um, it's interesting. One, the shows are like... 70 or 80 minutes long instead of forty. Mm. So they really dig much, much deeper That's into true. stuff. They yeah. spent a lot more time with the people. Um, and this season, I don't know if this has always been the case for Australian Survivor, but the most recent season of Australian Survivor was constantly throwing completely new curveballs that had never existed before. And I know and the contestants no. were always talking about, the, oh my god, they've never done this before. I mean, they were really pushing the envelope. And now it's interesting, this new season of Survivor in the US is also trying to do a lot of really new and interesting stuff, but nowhere near as much as the most recent. Season of Australian Survivor, which was really impressive. Plus, I mean, they just had some of the, I mean, George is just maybe one of the oh, coolest God. survivor characters uh, that I have ever seen. Probably one of my favorites of all time. Um, you know, and so I mean, whatever George was doing, whenever George was on screen, he's like, oh, I can't, I can't look away um, right from the get go. Um, so yeah, I, I thought the new, which, all right. You, you, and I don't know, I guess you haven't seen it yet. You were super pumped. Well, I hope you enjoyed it, Gerard. I thought it was fantastic. Jen thought it was okay, but apparently not as good as regular American Survivor. Why would you say that?
2: Oh, Actually, George was a problem for me.
0: You didn't like George.
2: I didn't like George. Oh, George is awesome. Got a ton of screen time. Yeah,
0: well, because he was awesome. (laughs) He was the
2: greatest thing that's ever happened to Survivor. (laughs) Well, he's certainly memorable.
0: He is very memorable. Yes. Oh, they made me sure. Of course. I mean, I'm sure every single person on Survivor is a rich, interesting, um, and compelling person. And you know, you you, got to make your stars. And okay, we George has given us a lot to work with. Yeah, uh, certainly. Said the uh, directors and editors. Yeah. Uh, right. Oh, anyway, so Gerard asks, do you have a favorite season of Survivor? Uh,
2: they all blend for me.
0: Exactly, they that's really funny. do. We, we are not that hardcore. My favorite season of Survivor is always the most recent one I've seen, I expose. I don't think I've ever, I don't think there's ever been, oh well that was a terrible season, that was boring. I know some people like, oh yeah, season 13, Ugh, what a snooze fest. I don't know. I don't think that's ever happened.
2: No. I mean, there's so many of them now, there's just a few highlights that stand out for me over the last 21 seasons. Well
0: then, uh, do you have a favorite game or puzzle? Gerard asks.
2: Um, no. You don't? <laughs> no.
0: My favorite is always the ones that are like almost scientifically designed in a lab to really create incredibly emotional, heroic moments. Um, and those tend to be the, um, the endurance ones. Because I mean they're they're the least visually interesting. No there's no movement. Nobody's running around. There's no reason to shout or scream or there's no fear of injury or anything like that. But um, you know, probably still my favorite competition of all time was when I think his name was Andrew Savage and everybody called him Savage. His last name was Savage. And if I recall I don't remember the particulars of what the circumstances was, but they were on a losing tribe and um oh. and I think he was on the outs with his tribe, but still uh, he was like a statue. He was like Hercules, and the yeah. and the other and tribe the- just kept putting more and more stuff yeah. on, him, and he would not break. Stuff like that, you know, unbreakable moments are very cool. Well, um, we
2: just had one recently. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah,
0: so they did a similar thing like that um, in the most recent season of uh, American Survivor. I think, I think I, I can't even remember now if it was an American or Australian Survivor. Quite frankly.
2: Okay, but I'm not talking about that. I'm just oh, saying uh, there was a really amazing moment than the one we just watched. Was it last night?
0: Uh, we've watched one this week, yeah.
2: Okay, well anyway, that. Do you remember which one? I mean, it actually made me cry.
0: What What, what was it in a competition? Yeah. What was the competition?
2: Um, it was that you had to throw the ball up and it rolled down the thing and then while it was rolling down you had to cross oh,
0: the Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Are you talking about the woman? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, that made me cry. Just a, a really good human moment. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I've heard, uh, Jeff commented, these are my favorite moments of the whole yeah, show.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So.
0: Uh, anyway, yeah.
2: Do <laughs> you want to pause a minute? Uh,
0: d- d- uh, we can hear Daisy's barking like yeah. a crazy dog out there, and we need to comport ourselves. So we'll be right back. Hold on, everybody. Actually, I don't have to pause. I'm just going to hit the pause button. You wouldn't even have known. <laughs> if I can hit it. Okie doke. Um, Jen is back. Daisy is in the room too. I think she smuggled her in. She shouldn't be here, but hopefully she won't shed too much. And then finally Gerard says he's got another Lego animation he made with his daughter, ah. which uh, uh, Gerard, thank you very much. We will watch that after the show um, and uh, let you know how it went, uh, because we got a lot of questions still. But um, yeah. So moving on. Uh, Helmet. righty. Okay, oh. Or, or, or helmet, uh, are there any mountains that we have visited or want to visit? No. And do we prefer the scenery of sunrise or sunset? Mountains, oh. honey. Oh. These are questions for Jen. Oh, um,
2: I love mountains, especially after living on Malta, which was quite flat. Mm. Um, and even England has very little in the way of mm-hmm. actual mountains. So we are very much enjoying that here. And every time. Uh,
0: Meaning, well, not that we're going climbing mountains every day, but rather we can look around and see several mountains from yep, where we live.
2: That's and that was one of the things my mom was always really uh, aware of. Is oh, there's Mount Rainier. Oh, there's Mount Hood. Or you know, when she'd fly up from California, she'd say, "I got to see all of the mountains in the Cascade Range coming up." And yeah, so I'm I'm very mountain oriented. I did climb South Sister when I was 30. Hmm. Um, hike up, not mm-hmm. not climb. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is all. That is the extent of my mountain climbing. Okay. But it was wonderful and beautiful and absolutely fabulous. I loved it. Um, do I prefer the scenery of sunrise or sunset? I have to say sunset because I am often not up for the sunrise. So, But I always enjoy, I will stop the car and actually watch a sunset. Okay. If it's worth it. So, yeah. And I like to take pictures of sunsets too. All
0: right. Um, you don't particularly want to go mountain climbing, right? Oh, gosh, no. Uh, I mean, didn't you didn't you and your sister and uh, Zane and Zoe go into the base of
2: we went, Mount St. Helens? Yeah, we went to The first year we got here? Yeah.
0: So that you visited that. Yeah. But did you just, I don't know what you did. You I can't actually long.
2: climb on it. Mm-hmm. Could you just go to the visitor centers and oh. stuff and look at it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mountains are nice. I don't have any particular. I mean, they're nice from a distance. I don't need to go climb them. Um, <laughs> right. I'm sorry. And well, we went to
2: Switzerland and saw you know the Alps. Yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah. We've
0: been in. We've been to the um, Alps. And um, oh gosh, well, I can't think of what they all were now. the uh, um, Matterhorn. Yeah, the Matterhorn. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was all amazing. Just um, you know, taking those. Yeah, that was absolutely incredible. Uh, that's actually pretty tough to beat, I imagine. Yeah.
1: Well, it's I mean, the since Alps. They, that,
0: that's their entire tourism industry is about let's make this really easy for you to get right up there
2: mm-hmm. and
0: um, you know just you know bask in the wonder and the glory of it so
2: yeah we were on like a what was a four or five day trip when we had a train we went on the train mm-hmm. in Switzerland it yep. was it was incredible yeah yeah beautiful. so
0: you can't beat that and I'm sorry you you were talking sunrise sunset what was it
2: oh I just prefer sunsets because I'm awake for most of them
0: <laughs> but if you're awake for sunrises you
2: oh I, I adore them are they as well.
0: interchangeable to you or
2: um. Yeah, I think so.
0: I, I was gonna say I can't. Aren't they pretty much exactly the same thing? Just one's rewind and the other's fast forward. I yeah. mean,
2: I suppose. I mean, sunrise. Obviously, the sun is coming up, so you're getting different angles of light coming through.
0: But they're the exact down. same angles, aren't they? It's just the direction that changes.
2: I don't know. I think maybe the movement of the sun would create different refractions.
0: Okay, I, I don't know. I don't
2: um, know. I would have to look into that, but I don't know. It's wonderful. I'm grateful for every sunrise and sunset.
0: Yeah. I think they're interchangeable, but they're all lovely. All righty. Moving on to Ryan. All righty. Ryan's wife and he want to ask us about Birmingham, England. Ryan, um, they they had the opportunity to go for an extended visit. Wow. Or have an opportunity to go next summer and want to get our opinions about the city. And some must-see and must-do's.
2: Oh, actually, last a couple years ago, um, my dad and Nance, my stepmom, but mom, yeah, Um, and my sister and her two kids, we all went to England and spent a month there in the summer. And one of the things we did is we rented a narrowboat just outside of Birmingham, and Mm -hmm. we did some narrowboating on the canals there. And that was really good fun. Um, So that is certainly available. I don't know that I would recommend you do a, uh, we did a four-day type of thing.
0: And was that two days too long? Um... Would you prefer to two or three?
2: It's it's hard because the area around Birmingham is quite industrial so and that's what the canals are there for was to move goods from uh, the rural areas into the cities so they could be processed and and or exported Mm -hmm. so um, a lot of the area that you go through is more industrial or it's the backsides of cities or whatever so if you only have a couple days that you want to do this, I would actually probably not go on the same ring that are, that we were on because it was rather industrial. And I think the reason to get out on narrow boat is to be out in the beautiful countryside. Mm-hmm. And it's a slow pace of life. It's very relaxing and it's absolutely wonderful. So I definitely recommend that you do that, but just probably not right there at the Birmingham area. But I mean, England is a tiny place relative to America. So <laughs> you could you could go 40 miles away and be on a completely different circuit and... And, you know, it takes you 40 minutes to get there. So it's not like, oh, I have to stick in Birmingham. There's lots to do um, within an hour of Birmingham. Is there?
0: I mean, I I mean Birmingham, I think, is where the UK Games Expo is. That's pretty much all I know about it.
2: Yeah. Well, like I said, it was very industrial. It was one of the industrial hubs of England. And uh, Stourbridge is near there, which was a, a very important glass and ceramics part of the country. Um, so I've gone there for several glassy things, but you probably wouldn't. Um, I think it's just, yeah, there's there's absolutely fantastic and beautiful spots everywhere you look in England. What else would I do in Birmingham? I, well, Leamington Spa is not too far from Birmingham, so and that's one of the places that he interviewed oh, when we, we I went mean, for a... Yeah, when we oh, is Warwickshire
0: our, and all that yeah. within driving distance?
2: Yep, absolutely. So... Oh, I,
0: mean, I would go and do all that stuff. That stuff is much nicer. I mean, I don't know... Well. I've been to Birmingham once, I think, for UK Games Expo, and pretty much all I saw was the hotel we stayed at, and we drove around from the expo um, back and forth, and it was it, just a nondescript city to me.
2: Yeah. Well, I think we stayed in Birmingham the first night when we took the train from London to Birmingham, and okay, we got yeah, a car, yeah, and we drove yeah. down to Leamington Spa. So, again... So, a little bit. I mean, that, yeah. and that was 30, 20 years ago, anyway. Yeah. When
0: I would there. trust TripAdvisor. <laughs> just do a TripAdvisor top 10 things to do in Birmingham and do eight of those, probably, or maybe six, really. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I can't think of really anything particular.
0: Yeah,
2: but I would recommend you do the narrowboat.
0: That's a big investment, but or you know of time and all that.
2: Well, you can you can do um, afternoon trips. You can do a couple days, Hmm. but you you actually get to drive this big boat, and so I would I would say do at least a two day. And
0: and it's like a training because it it goes very slow. Oh yeah, Um, it's almost like bumper cars (laughs) because you're just on this little narrow canal kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Um, but it's nice to feel like you've achieved something with that, too, because uh, the first day you're like, oh, my God, I'm hitting everything. And then the second day you're like, hey, I actually kind of get this now
1: and,
2: <laughs> and everything. So it's, it's, it's fun. And uh, you'll see beautiful parts of the country that you wouldn't be able to see because there's no roads there.
0: Depending okay. on the canal you're on. Yep. All righty. Mike says that I recently stated Ted Lasso is my favorite TV show in the history of television. And um, am I talking uh, recent, or am I saying goodbye to Star Trek, Better Call Saul, etc.? Well, I'm not saying goodbye to those, but yes, it is the greatest TV show of all time, as far as I'm concerned. That's obviously an exaggeration. It is my favorite TV show of all time. It, it eclipses everything else. Um, nothing comes close to it. Uh, but Star Trek is still in my top five. Um, right. And oh man, man, um, the we just saw the season finale of uh, Season 2 of Ted Lasso. It totally... Nailed the landing, and uh, actually, this week uh, had the season finale of Star Trek: Lower Decks, which was also absolutely gobsmacking, amazing. It's such a great time to be a TV junkie. Anyway, uh, Mike is a huge fan of the show. What is it about it that draws us to it? Really surprised to hear the praise regarding it's a show about sports.
2: Yeah. Well, is don't it hold really that about him. sports? No, it's about being a great person mm-hmm. and, and helping other people to be great people too.
0: Yep, it is about everybody. Doing their best to bring out the best in everybody. Yep, it's absolutely amazing. And you know, I won't talk about it too much because I'll get Oliver Klempt again. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I, mean, I, I I genuinely think if it had been set in a, an office about paper sales, I would like it just as much uh, because it's the antithesis of of what kind of what pop culture has become ever since probably. I don't know. Everything starts in my teen years, of course, when I notice things starting to happen. But um, you know, married with children signaled a a change, a coarsening um, in, in in comedy. I mean, I know that's not true. There's there's wholesome comedies and whatnot, but. A lot of comedy a lot of network comedy is about you know punching down and belittling and making fun and stupid people and all that and there are no stupid people even the ostensibly stupid person is uh, still uh, has their Incredibly own Incredibly of...
2: endearing as well
0: Yeah um, you know and and, uh, and so we get to see you know uh, depth to them and, and and I hope it signals a uh, sea change in what we can find funny. Um, they, you know, it, We don't have to laugh at people. We can laugh with people. And I think that's what makes Ted Lasso so amazing. Um, yeah. And it just happens to be about football. but And it could be any sport. It could be any job. It's a workplace comedy. And it's the antithesis of what we think of comedies being. Um, and I absolutely love it. Me
2: too. Do you too. have anything
0: to say about it, honey pie?
2: I love it too. Mm-hmm. I love it too.
0: Yep. Even if we occasionally have to turn on subtitles. What did they say? Rewind.
2: Yeah, Roy's a bit mumbly sometimes. Oh, yeah.
0: And Keeley can actually sometimes be really, uh, or actually can get really thick sometimes too, but always worth rewinding. Yep. All righty. Um, Gerald, or Gerard, Gerald. Ah, <laughs> Jerry 2 says, hi, Jen. How's the eye? And how difficult is it to make glass now?
2: Ah, the eyes are much better. Thank you very much. And I'm getting on. I'm getting on. I'm thinking, actually, I'm going to go get a pair of glasses for lamp working. I just think. I'm Really? Yeah. I I think it's still healing, but I'm, I've been struggling with it for almost two years now. Mm-hmm. And
0: you're not going to go back again?
2: I don't think so. I mean, I feel like they've had many opportunities to correct it, and maybe this is the best it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I have to remember, I'm 50 now. My eyes don't heal and as well as how they how did. how is it? It's... Ninety percent of the time it's good. It's mm-hmm. it's it's good. And ten percent of the time I'm like, Oh my gosh, what is going on with my eyes? Why are they not working?
1: Wow.
0: Ninety percent success rate after two years and six operations.
2: Yeah, or whatever it was. Oh. Yeah. So I'm just thinking and, and really the only time I'm really frustrated with it is lamp working. So if I just get a pair of glasses that work for me when I'm lamp working, you know, the other time, you know, I, I can read the computer fine, I can Play games fine, pretty much, except when it's darker. I think that just-well, it's this room. That's an aging eyeball. And when we
0: film in this room, that's the problem, because it is literally dark in here. Yeah.
2: Anyway, thank you. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. And I love not having to have glasses for driving and walking around and everything else, because I do have to remind myself, I was wearing bifocals. So this (sighs) is still a vast improvement.
0: Uh, Very good, yes. That's a very Ted Lasso approach. Well done, Honey
1: Pie. Well,
2: when you're 20, you heal like you feel great. It was fine. Everything was perfect. You know, I had 25 years of perfect vision, and I, you know, got a bit spoiled with that.
0: Yep. Okay. Um, let's see. Jen, listening to you talk about your chickens uh, for the past few years, Woo-hoo! has encouraged G- uh, Gerald to get some Woo-hoo! of their own. They're great, but now we keep watching reality shows about living in Alaska. Oh, it's a slippery oh, slope, Gerald. Anyway, besides chicken uh, wire fence, do you have any tips about protecting from predators?
2: Yeah, I have the electric fence, and that has worked so well. My mm-hmm. chickens spend probably half their life right now up on the hill, which is um, near us. Uh, it's part of, our garden backs onto some common land. So I have just put an a electric fence on that. We don't. Ha- I've never had a problem, even hawks. I mean, it's, an, it's a wide open field and hill, and we've, not that they're going to be dissuaded by an electric fence, but I'm no. just saying.
1: No, it's going to be at all.
2: It's, we have no problems. I've seen the neighbor dogs charge the fence and their little wet noses. Um, it's a lot more, I think, painful a shock if you've mm-hmm. got a wet nose.
0: So you've seen them actually collide with the fence?
2: I've seen our dogs collide with the fence. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And they go, Wah! oh, dear. <laughs> never again. And never again. Over there. We'll just give that a good berth. And
0: for the record, I mean, it's nothing. It's just like a, at, and it's just more that they're startled and surprised. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. And I'm sure it's more shocking if you've got a wet nose.
0: Uh, that's a good point, yeah, that's but, true. Yeah, yes, I have not tried touching it with my nose after uh, applying some... Uh, um, licking your yeah, nose and yeah, then yeah. sticking it on that's the That's a good point, yeah. That yeah. might make it a bit more extreme.
2: Yeah, but I mean, we haven't had problems with raccoons or anything. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah.
0: and there are definitely... I mean, we've seen raccoons walking down our street. Yep. And we've never had a problem with raccoons getting in there or pestering them or anything. Yep. And, uh, and you know, and, and they know to stay away from it, too, because occasionally you'll hear them cl- get too close and cluck.
2: Actually, the baby chicks, mm-hmm. um, I, I've seen them experience the fence Oh. They would just—they were small enough that they could fit through the um, the uh-huh. holes in the electric grid, and but then coming back through somehow they would touch you know the top and the bottom or whatever and get a little shock and that let them know <laughs> not to not to do that anymore. So even the chickens learn from it.
1: Yeah,
0: I yeah. mean there's no way it can it can stop hawks or eagles or anything like no. that. I mean, were you just lucky and there aren't any around here? I, I don't think I ever see any hawks or anything or well, any birds of prey.
2: I do. And we've got some snaggy trees nearby that they like, they can just perch on and keep an eye on. But I don't know. Maybe the chickens are big enough that we don't have eagles or something in the area. Yeah. But, yep. So that has worked really well. And actually, Louise, um, back in England, she, all that's all she had to protect her chickens. She had an, one of those um, igloos, eggloos, mm. those Kind of plastic coopy things, and mm-hmm. then she would have an electric fence around it, and that was all. And she was on the the border with farmland and fields and everything, so you know there was um, at least neighborhood dogs wandering around, mm. if not other yeah, coyote yeah, yeah. type things and foxes certainly. Oh my yeah, god, foxes! Yeah, yeah. I did not have in England an electric fence around my coop, and we lost <laughs> we lost uh, my first second flock to yeah. foxes. Yeah, a fox.
0: A single fox, yeah.
2: Yep, got in there and just killed them all. Yeah. So I would say definitely electric fence.
0: And that's it.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, and we tuck our chickens in every night too, so they're 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 tucked away in a wood coop.
0: Yeah, yeah, basically a work shed that has been converted into a coop. Yep. Alrighty. If the next question causes too much of a bad vibe, ignore it. We'll see what happens. Rado. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, Gerald. Was it Gerald or Gerard? Gerald thinks that I was raised by just my mom. No, I was raised by my mom and my dad, if I recall correctly. It seems to be less difficult for parents and children if two good people are there to help look after children instead of just one. Power of math! (laughs) Do you think your childhood made you prefer games that require you to overcome struggles, the Uwe Rosenberg shackles, um, and also made you have more empathy towards others? Um, Well, I'm going to... Unfortunately, no, I... I grew up in a two-parent household, but um, you know, believe me, they were not happy about it. Uh, once uh, Ryan and I were out of the house, boom, a divorced. They stuck it out, and I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but I mean, they got married and divorced. I think three or four times. <laughs> I think they got married three times ultimately. Although in the end they were officially married, but they lived in different houses um, on adjoining lots uh, because they were always oil and water. But I believe they both just agreed it was very important to have a you know keep their differences away from us and um, you know ensure there was a stable family. So I cannot say being raised by a single mom and you know had any impact on me because I didn't. Jen can talk about that though if it doesn't create too much of a bad vibe for you. You can ignore it, but um, Jen's parents got divorced. You must have been eight, I think. Yeah, seven or eight. eight, Seven or eight. And she grew up first living with you and your sister lived with your mom from like eight till 14 or something like that. And then you moved in with your dad and your stepmom and stayed with them until you went off to college. Yep. So um, do you want to talk at all about if that had any kind of impact on the type of person you are or anything like that?
2: Well, my mom was incredibly um how do i say this she she didn't have a lot of rules for us mm-hmm. and so my sister and i grew she was up. raising
0: young independent women there you go that yes. is how she would put it yes i know your mom yeah
2: yeah and uh and i'm not gonna argue with that that was it was brilliant we had an extremely free growing up period mm-hmm. And part of that was that we lived in a small town um, when I was younger. We moved to Yakima for three years, um, sort of in that 11 through 14-ish age for me. Um, and Yakima may was not quite as safe a way to do that. Mm-hmm. with, uh, But we grew up in Cheney, Washington, before that. And it's just a little college town, very safe. You could walk everywhere and do everything. And, you know, it was one of those childhoods where you could be out and you had to come home at dusk kind of thing. And your parents never given it another thought. Um, Yakima was probably not as, as good an idea for that sort of raising of children, Mm -hmm. but on the other hand, no harm came to either one of us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe mom was, made the right decisions. Um, she was a single mom. She always had at least two jobs. And I think we were, I'm going to say middle class, but maybe you would say, more than that. Because you had a much poorer upbringing than I did as far as yes money in your life. Yeah. Um,
0: My family has uh, had to file for bankruptcy at least twice um, when I was growing up. Yeah. We were so threadbare.
2: Okay. But, you know, we weren't because mom was working two jobs. Mm-hmm. My dad paid child support. Yeah. Um, and he had a good job. So we, I, I feel extremely lucky that I had such a good childhood with you know, very little concerns about anything really. Um, We did, when we go to the grocery store, mom would say we have $100 for this shopping, and we would count it up, you know, as we were putting stuff in our cart. And so I do know the value of money, and that was taught to me early at a young age. So while I say I had a very nice upbringing, it wasn't that we were silver spoons or anything like that. Mm We, Mm -hmm. mom worked really hard, dad worked really hard, and um we as kids we we had jobs and we got an allowance you know there wasn't any any kind of free riding stuff going on and everybody had responsibilities in the house and mom's responsibility was to go to work and bring in the money and our you know so where am i going with this um, oh just single momness yeah yeah so uh, i think i think she did a great job and she is really the first generation of women to be able to 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 do that I'm not saying that the women in the 20s and the 30s and stuff w- weren't able to, but there was such a limited career path for women. And m- my parents grew up in the Adirondacks in pretty, well, I don't want to say sketchy conditions, but it was, it was probably like trying to live in Agricola times. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they had to make stuff work. Mm. And uh, I think I, my grandfather was a, a person that could fix anything had that kind of universal knowledge about how stuff worked and could just make anything fixed. And so my dad knows that. My mom knows that I was taught that we, I fix stuff and I appreciate that too. I don't know where I'm going with this.
0: Uh, You're just what kind of, I mean, the the general question is, You know, growing up with a single mom, what kind of impact did that have on you? I mean, he asked specifically, because he assumed I was, is that why I, because of my hardship in adversity, is that why I like it in games? Um, And is that why I have, you know, a laser-like focus on empathy as the most important um, human attribute we can have? And, um, all right, so... So, obviously, I couldn't answer that question. You kind of have. It's kind of helped you define who you are. Yeah. All right. We can then move on. If I could have dinner and board gaming with anybody in the video game industry, who would it be? Um, you can answer that, too, Honey Pie. You know a few folks. Honestly, I it'd just be my former co-workers. All the folks who i worked with over the years. I mean, I've liked everybody i worked with with almost 100%. There are a few folks I wouldn't want to have dinner with, but for the most part, uh, it'd be great to see anybody and find out what they've been doing because it, almost 100 percent after I've mo- I've moved on, I I moved on from them too. I have not seen anybody from Idetic. I, I did that uh, that live stream with John Garvin about siphon filter a couple of years ago. Was it last year? Uh, that was fun and it was nice just catching up and talking with him. I would love to catch up with. I mean I could list everybody, and I actually I'm not going to start listing people because I will. I will skip some people and that won't be fair, but there is almost every single person I have worked with in the video game industry over the 20 some years I was there. I would love to get together with and catch up and see how they're doing. Um, Do you have anybody who can think of Honey Pie? I mean, you were obviously at arm's length from all of it. Would you want to hang out with Peter Molyneux and have dinner with him again? I
2: Um, mean, because
0: you've actually had dinner with him on more than one occasion.
2: I have. He's a a charming person. Mm -hmm. Absolutely charming. yeah. I don't know. I, I was friends with wives as mm-hmm. you know, kind of we went uh, through through various companies because you moved us around quite a bit. Um, so I think that I met a lot of really nice people that way, mm-hmm. but I don't know, I guess, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm one of those people that have a few really good friends.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't have a whole wide variety of yeah. people that I keep in touch with.
0: Yeah. And I mean, sure there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in the game industry. I mean and you said, Oh, do I want to hang out with
2: Miyamoto? Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: or Miyamoto or Kadama, or I'm trying to think of American, um, you know, um, oh gosh. Full throttle guy. Why can't I think of anybody's name all of a sudden? No, not particularly because I don't know them. <laughs> I'd want to hang out with the people I know and that I worked with. Alrighty. PS If we live in Ireland we can meet up with Brenda Romero, of uh, train and her husband John Romero, doom designer. They live in Galloway. I did not know hmm. that. I never met actually I did I saw Brenda do her train you know it wasn't a TED talk it was before the time of TED talks but it was effectively a TED talk she gave at some video game convention and that was absolutely amazing and actually Brenda uh is uh, definitely gave me some advice when I first started getting into board games because I posted on Game Illuminati, which is a super secret video game developer only invite board, which you can't get in unless you get you know nominated and all that. And when I started getting into games says hey, what else, what else should I play? This pandemic thing's incredible. And I remember Brenda strongly recommended Dominion, so I got Dominion based off her because at that point I was trying to just find more co-op stuff. And she said, no, no, you got to branch out. Trust me. you didn't mean anything that'll be great. And so um that's my experience with uh, Brenda. I should have had experiences with John with John Romero because I was in Texas at the time he was, but we just never crossed paths it'd be, I'm sure it'd be interesting to meet them and and hang out with them. Brenda is a fascinating person. I'm sure John is too. I'm sure they've got great stories, but no i I would pass on dinner with them to have dinner with random junior artist number three on you know what game X that I worked on just because, you know, I have a connection with those folks. Alrighty. Boopity-boopity-boopity-boop. Hey, Matt H. says, During the R&R show, I mentioned that I really dislike Marvel's What If, though I like the comics. Can I explain? Because Matt's on the other end. He dislikes the concepts of the comics, but he thinks uh, they somehow made the uh, series quite interesting, although too short. Um, uh, I mean, Jen didn't watch it, so she has nothing to say. I mean, this is one of those times when you can go back to your laptop and yep. stir off into space. Uh... Honestly, I mean, I love the idea of what if, uh, um, you, know, you, know, you know, seeing how stories could have gone a different way, exploring different avenues, coming up with new combinations and stuff. I love that idea. Um, and honestly, I love, I could have loved the idea here too. But, I mean, every single what if question that was asked was fascinating. I just thought it was, it was, um, it, it, it wasn't the concept it wasn't the questions they asked, it was the execution. I thought the writing was terrible. I thought often it was anachronistic. They were using all kinds of phrases uh, for characters from 20 years ago that were like phrases that are hot today. And I would look, did they say this 20 years ago? No, they did not say this 20 years ago. Um, you know, just like little hip things. So it was just kind of graded on me. Um, and I, I thought the performances were universally just kind of. Flat and boring, which is amazing considering a lot of these actors. Um, you know, they got the original actors back for their roles, but I mean, I felt like kind of like they wasted their money on that because oh, I can I can recognize Sebastian Stan, but he was so much more engaging as a live action actor. Um, I mean, heck, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is an amazing voice actor. You know what the work he did on Smaug, but the stuff he did for for Doctor Strange, and he had a lot of really interesting stuff to work. I uh, just felt kind of. Like, oh, I'm just going to do this one afternoon really quick. It was all first take stuff. Um, I, I didn't like the writing. I didn't like that every single episode didn't feel like it led to anything. Almost all of them just kind of spontaneously ended. And, you know, some, a few of them had a, you know an ending that it made sense that it spontaneously ended. But, like, the one with uh, um, Killmonger becoming... You know, what if Killmonger had become Black Panther? That one just, like... That one literally ended in the middle of a scene! And they didn't even. It's like, what? Why? What is the point of that? It just. I don't know. I. I, I was really. Uh, I, I, there was. I mean, I liked the animation. I really liked the animation. The look of it was gorgeous. I thought that was brilliantly done, and that was a lot of work done by a lot of really talented artists on a bunch of scripts that were all first pass. And needed more work. Uh, they should have spent a lot more time in the writing room trying to come up with what are we actually trying to say? What are we trying to do here, other than just oh well, this is interesting? Um, and I, yeah, I was really disappointed by it. Alrighty. Um, which I mean, normally I always try to see the good in everything, um, you know, and I'm I'm willing to. Well, okay, yeah, that was a little uh, dicey there, but on the whole, it's great. I mean, I there was just very I watched every week, and every week I was like, oh, that was disappointing. Um, when they tried to be funny, they weren't funny. When they tried to be, you know, have really grave gravitas and you know, big moments of sacrifice, like uh, it's just all so flat. Just nothing really worked. Um, right. There were a few moments here and there that were very, very cool, but uh they you know they did they did not add up to there they, they were just a few a, a few little moments. They maybe of uh, the whatever they had the six, seven, eight episodes, nine episodes. There's maybe one episode's worth of good moments in there. A spread across. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, then Matt continues. Oh, so you want pop culture? Well, here we go. I wanted to make uh, part two of the Rado Factor Fiction game uh, that I sent you on a couple of years ago, uh, which I pro, which I probably are, I've, I was just gonna say I don't remember this at all. I've really forgotten. Uh, but all right, you. But you don't have enough Rado facts. All right, I, I don't. I'm looking forward to it, whatever it is. But in the meantime, I have an unrelated Marvel tournament bracket in the attached spreadsheet. Can you open it? Let me see if I can open it. Let's see. I assume this is going to open in Google, so it's going to try and open over there. There it is. All righty. So I have, a, I have a knockout bracket I've got to do here. The rules. It's up to me to decide who wins each match, even if the internet would disagree. Bonus points if I tell us why or how. I can mix uh, Marvel Cinematic or, um, or or comic versions of characters. Characters don't have to be able to kill an opponent to win the fight. Okay, so this is who would win in a fight. Uh, right. All righty. All right, Honey Pie. I'm you're You got something to do for a while. Yeah. All righty. Let's see here. Let me. um. Ba, 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 ba. Um, right. I need. To, oh, I need to go back to Chrome. There we go. So there is the elimination bracket. I think that's what they call them in sports. I'm not quite sure. And apparently, I have to fill these spaces and everything. So first up, Punisher versus the Daredevil. That's going to be Daredevil. I can't fill that in. Or do I just click on this? I. Oh no! I put. I put it here. I see. Okay. Here we go. Dare. Why won't you let me edit? Oh, oh, because I'm in view only. There we go. I have to request edit access. You failed. You failed. Can I save this? Um, can I save this as an Excel file?
2: Make a
1: copy. Uh,
0: make a copy. Yeah, make my own copy. There we go. And then maybe I'll be able to uh, in my own drive, and then I'll be able to edit it. Okay. Good call, Honey Pie. Good catch. Uh, Daredevil wins. Uh, one because I'm pretty sure I've seen him win in the past. Um, two uh, because uh, you know Frank Castle to win has to be ready to kill. He's not going to kill Daredevil. He's going to try and um, you know take him offline. I mean there was that famous scene with uh, you know by Garth Enos, where he you know they, they recreated in the TV show. But I think in the end Daredevil is is going to win. I mean he's got. You know, Frank is going to Frank's most effective tool is denied him his his willingness to uh, you know execute someone effectively, and uh, so Daredevil, I think I, I think has a more indomitable spirit, is not easily broken because the comics book <laughs> have tried to break him every six ways to Sunday, and he always comes back. He is indomitable. Um, oh versus black widow natasha i do not know who okay is so i'm gonna to have to skip that one i'll give it to natasha uh bw sorry i'm i'm embarrassed i'd say i don't know who that is i have not been keeping up with marvel comics for probably about 10 years now um falcon versus blade regular falcon versus blade um i mean if you're talking a regular falcon who is just a guy who can fly who can talk to birds I think it's gonna have to be Blade. Um, you know, Blade has super strength. Uh, Blade has more weaponry. I mean, actually, I, I don't think there is a winner there. I think they fight each other to a standstill. Falcon just flies away. But we, we, you'll have to give the the win to Blade because Falcon will have to get in close, and you don't get close to Blade. That's pretty straightforward. Hawkeye versus Deadpool. I mean, I. I I am not a big Deadpool fan. I mean, I, I enjoyed the movies, but uh, I and I love Hawkeye in the films. Everybody says he's the weakest Avenger. I think he's the most important Avenger by far. I cannot wait just a couple weeks until his new show. Oh, it's so great!
2: Why is he the most important? In-
0: because uh, in the movies, because he was the heart of the team. Um, because in Age of Ultron, when they were on the outs, they all hunt, they all went and hid. At you know, his family farm where we met his wife and his children, and he was the only real person, the the most complete person. Everybody else, every other Avenger is broken in some way. Uh, um, you mean
2: that he had a real life with
0: Yeah, he had a real life yeah. and um, you know, he was the glue that held everybody together at the end of the day. Um, right, so and uh yeah, right, and you know, plus I mean I think he's the, the bravest of all of them because as he said, I'm just a guy with a bow and arrow. Um, I'm just trying to make it work. Alrighty. Um, let's see. So, but still, I mean, Deadpool's immortal. Deadpool, uh, you know, Deadpool will win no matter what. There's nothing in the end of the day that Hawkeye can do. Um, I mean, I guess he could in could like. I guess if he used some kind of special trick arrow to uh, bind Deadpool in some way, but. Honestly, then Deadpool will just turn and talk directly to the camera and use a trick to get out of it. So uh, it's 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 an unfair fight. Uh, Winter Soldier versus Cable. I don't. I'm not an X Man guy. I've never really known that much about. So I don't know much about Cable. So I'm just gonna say Winter Soldier. Um, not because of the movies, but because uh, you know when we, when we have, what was it two or three years of Bucky Cap. Oh my God, that's some of the best comics of all time. Spider Man versus Black Panther. Spider Man. Um, you know, and. Uh, Yeah, Spider Man. Um, Just, just, just in terms of raw power, Um, you know, he's kind of would, (sighs) you know, Spider Sense. I mean, the Spider Sense doesn't really play much of a part in the movies, and I mean, Spider Sense can obviously be very selective in the uh, comics, but. You know, if if a writer wants somebody to win, Spider-Man's going to be the one to win just because of sheer, uh, sheer sheer powers. Drax versus Ghost Rider. I mean, Ghost Rider, of course. Um, I, I, you say Johnny Blaze. I mean, Ghost Rider is literally the um, elemental force of vengeance. I mean, he, he's effectively a minor deity as opposed to Drax, who's a, a strong guy with a couple of knives. And uh, Gamora versus Captain America. Uh, Captain America, of course. Uh, Steve Rogers is going to win because Steve Rogers in the comics has the uh, most powerful plot armor of all. Steve Rogers can't be beaten. Um, So, alrighty. And then we got Daredevil versus Black Widow. I'm going to say Daredevil again for the same reasons he is indomitable. Um... Then we've got Blade versus Deadpool. Again, you can't beat Deadpool because he's literally immortal and he can talk his way to the camera out of anything. Winter Soldier versus Spider-Man. Again, it's Spider-Man. I mean, just in terms of raw power, the fact that if Spider-Man doesn't want to be touched, he can't be. T- you can't lay a finger on him. And then Ghost Rider versus Steve. Uh, Ghost Rider again is a primordial um, force of vengeance. Although I mean, I, I guess I know people will say, "Well, but his his spirit soul." Sorry for folks. Jen's literally just left the room. <laughs> um, I I sorry. I mean, th- this is not my fault. I'm trying to go through this as quick. As I can. People will say, "Oh, you know the the penance stare," you know, which basically looks into the soul of everybody and you know and incapacitates. And that won't work on Steve. Sure, fine. But still, um, you know, Ghost Rider, putting aside that, is still a a Hulk level force, and so it's going to be Ghost Rider. Ghost going to win all of this. I mean, that's like, but anyway, Daredevil versus Deadpool. At this point, Deadpool. <laughs> And I can see where this is going to come down to. The, uh, Spider-Man versus Ghost Rider? I'm sorry. I mean, I love when uh, Spider-Man went up against... Um, oh, which, which Herald of Galactus was it back in the uh, 90s or the late 80s? Um, Firebrand, I think. That was an amazing. But that took everything he could to just barely fight him to a standstill. Ghost Rider will win. And so this is interesting. It comes down to Deadpool versus Ghost Rider. And if there's anybody here who could be um, I mean, as, as powerful as Ghost Rider is... Deadpool has the writer on their side. Deadpool has the audience on their side. Deadpool can just change the rules of the universe he is in because he knows he is a comic book character. So I'm going to give it to Deadpool in the end. And there you go. Hope that was fun for um, somebody besides um, Matt. But it was fun for me. Okay, let's get back to it. Alrighty. So... Uh, bonus points if I can tell you why. All right, there you go. I can mix and match. All right, characters don't have to. All right. And, all right, though, there you go. I hope you enjoyed it. And I'm sorry, yeah, I was not a discussion for Jen because, oh, oh, I could have done it on r RNR now is a top 10 show. Um, You know, we, at first we thought we were going to do like lots of variety, but then we realized people want top 10s and I want r r to succeed because I am paying Ruel to be there. I am, I'm not going to say how much, but I'm paying Ruel, I think, quite a bit. Of uh, money, you know, um, and I and you know, I want there to be sponsors for the show, um, and so I top tens are going to get more views than anything else. So that's why it's a top ten show. So I that was fun to do, but all right, that was fun for me anyway. But anyway, we move on to Lassie once Jen gets back, honey. We're done with the comic books. We'll be all right. Oh, hold on, everybody. She'll be back in a sec. Okay, before we move on though, Jen came and she looked at the, uh, and it's like, how? I mean, I thought you said Steve Rogers can't be beaten. I I had to explain how Ghost Rider is a cosmic level entity and all of that. And she said, well, so who's this Deadpool? How did he come out on top? And I kind of explained, she said, that sounds really cool. Maybe I should watch that movie. And I'm like,
1: ooh, okay. So
0: I got to say a huge thank you to Matt. We might be watching some Deadpool tonight. Um, That's pretty cool. Uh, Anyway, though, all right, so we're on to uh, uh, Lassie who has a personal question. How passionate are we about board games now compared to our time in Malta? Of course, she's talking to me, uh, or he is talking to me. I'm not sure they are talking about me, but I'm, I'm sure I'd like to hear Jen's thought about this as well. Context. Lassie's been following um, you know, the video, the podcast since 2016. Always enjoyed it. Uh, but Lassie seems to think that when we moved back to the state, my excitement and passion has been on a downward, downward spiral and that the channel is mainly a job. Now, to be honest, the channel has always been a job for me. I I started doing this not because, oh, this will be fun. I started doing this because when I retired from the video game industry and Jen said, yeah, you can't buy $2,000 worth of games anymore every year. You can't do it if you're going to retire. Like, oh, but I still want new games. Maybe if I do a show, the publishers will send them to me. But then ultimately, over time, it turns out, oh, we can't afford to stay retired. you got to go back to work. Oh, well, maybe I'll try and make a career out of this, <laughs> but it was always mercenary reasons I started filming in the first place, so that hasn't changed at all. Um, righty, uh, re- p- recent political general confuses you as a viewer, um, distance content on the pod, and, and you know, in the distance of the content uh, from gaming itself on the podcast, you miss the handheld camera. I know, as you say, you, you know, Lassie, it's 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 just too hard. I, I. I, I don't know how I did that for that long. Uh, it's a muscle, and it atrophied. And I would ha- it would take a long time to get back as good as I was. Uh, my passion and excitement for doing run-throughs has been a trademark of Verado Run-Throughs. I've loved, and sadly, it's not there anymore, and Shay doesn't have it either. I'm going to have to agree to disagree. I feel, personally, I am just as passionate about playing games um, as I ever have been. Uh, it's my favorite thing to do in the world. I wish I could do it more. I mean, I guess maybe I have a... Maybe it's... Maybe there's demonstrably less passion that I bring to the show because I, yeah, there, there is no choice about it. The fact that it is now a, uh, it is something I have to concern. I have to concern myself with analytics and I have to pay attention to my, um, you know, uh, uh, click through rates and all that kind of stuff. I don't like any of that. I think I was definitely happier when I wasn't paying attention to that. And I wasn't concerned about, um, you know, I mean, I I've had, uh, such an incredible fall. I mean, but, you know, 2016, I was just doing whatever, put the video up, never thought about it again, moved on to the next game. Now because I've actually tried because I've got employees that are literally trying to make their living off of me, I have to take it much more seriously. And yeah, there's no choice about it. It's it's not like anything about the job has changed, but there's a level of pressure on me now that didn't exist before, and I have to take it much more seriously. So I'm not and maybe Maybe you're right. Maybe that bleeds into the videos. I don't think so. I tend to think I'm just as excited about a new... I mean, if you watch my run-through for... uh, What I... I'm just... Yesterday, I just filmed um, the uh, video for the World of Warcraft pandemic game. And um, if you compare that video side-by-side with the video I did for the original pandemic, I don't know that you'd be able to tell the difference. I wouldn't be able to tell the difference in terms of the enthusiasm and the energy that I bring. I don't think that's changed at all. Um, But maybe you're right, and I just don't see it. I'm kind of close to it. But I'm also the one who's in my head, and I know (laughs) how I feel, and I can assure you, I very much enjoy games. In fact, if anything, I probably enjoy the act of filming now more than I ever have because I've got this setup. I've got permanent cameras. I can just instantly do cuts between different things. I don't have to worry about sound anymore. Um, I've gotten into the habit of doing lots of solo run-throughs, which are so much more fun. It, every time I get the chance to play it solo, I'm literally having fun playing as opposed to if I'm doing a multiplayer. I'll, I'll tell you right now, between you and me, Lassie, I've never had fun doing it. It's a, it's, it's a work. It's a, it's a performance I'm putting on. And, um, you I I guess there, there's an in, inherent enjoyment. Anybody enjoys doing something they're good at, and I think I'm good at what I do. So there is that level of enjoyment. But now, when I play a solo run through, I'm literally just having fun because I'm actually playing the game. I'm still doing everything I do to try to ensure that I'm demonstrating the game. So I'm making choices, and so I always have to have my producer hat and my director hat and my editor hat on all at the same time. But it has never been more fun for me to film than it is with this setup right here. So I'm not quite sure what you're picking up on, um, but. I will now throw it over to Jen. Honey Pie, has your passion, not about the show, but about gaming in general, has it changed since our return to the U.S. of A?
2: Hmm. I should have been prepared for that question. I gave you all the time but in the world. I, I
0: warned you I was going to ask you.
2: Um, I don't think so. I think you've just gotten better and better at choosing games to introduce me to. Yeah. That I think I actually enjoy it more now than I did before because... Um, you know, like when we were in Malta, you were saying yes to a lot of things. Yeah. And now.
0: Yeah, there are a lot more misses. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I think I think yeah no I I what should I say the enjoyment is down. Uh,
0: how passionate are you about board games now compared to our time in Malta? Yeah. That is the question. Gosh. And and lastly, I think is actually a male name. I'm pretty sure not a female name.
1: Okay.
2: Um.
0: To know. Now that I think about it. Okay. So I'll just stick with they. Oh. Always a safe one.
2: Yeah. Okay. No, I, I think uh, I'm actually happier doing things now than I was in Malta. Although I think I've got less time now than I did in Malta.
0: I was going to say, yeah, it, it seems to be harder to get you to the table nowadays than it ever has been before. Why is that?
2: I think it's because I just really want to play with glass. Mm-hmm. And I, for some reason, there just seems to be a lot of other distractions in our lives. Yeah. And I don't...
0: Like my mom. <laughs> well, she wasn't going to name it but yes
2: <laughs> well, okay, no I want to be with my parents too yeah of course your so, parents are
0: nearby that was one of the reasons we not it was just my mom we yeah. moved back for your parents
1: too yeah.
2: absolutely I mean I like I just spent all day Thursday yeah you know driving down there and we and couldn't be playing and, games yeah but I, that is part of the reason we moved back here so yeah. I do not regret that even one iota so uh, I'm not sure But also, I have so much stuff here to play with, new colors and new everythings, and Mm -hmm. I've taken classes, and there's just so much. I feel like my um, glassy universe has expanded so much. Because
0: in Malta, you were, I mean, you were, you could very well, I would not be surprised at all if you were literally the only glass (laughs) lamp worker in the entire country. Do you think that's possible? It's no. a country of, uh, what, 400,000 people. Yeah,
2: no, I know there's a, there, at least there a must couple of other ones. Oh, because
0: yeah. you, did you ever meet them?
2: Oh, well, I would just go into stores and I would see Lampwork work.
0: So somebody had to be making yeah. it beside you. Yeah,
2: I know. There was one lady in Victoria that was doing it. So, yeah, okay. On, on Gozo, right, yeah. even, there was a lady.
0: Well, why were you hanging out with her?
2: That's a good question. Yeah. I, I Your universe was right there. Huh? I don't know. I just... I don't know. You could have
0: started the uh, Glass Lamp Worker Association of Malta.
2: I could have.
0: And that would have taken your time away from actually making the glass. True.
2: So, I don't that know. That's interesting. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I feel like too time is ticking and we're getting older and I want to, you know, like with my eyes not working so great mm-hmm. um, for the last couple of years. It's just maybe that too. I mean, it's just been, I don't know. Anyway, um, I think I'm just as happy, in fact, more happy to play games now.
0: Yep, okay. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, there you go. You're wrong, Lassie. But um, anyway, then you had a game question, too, which I should have put in the game section, but I'll just mention. uh, Have I covered the World of Warcraft pandemic game? Yes. You'll see that video next week. Um, As I said, in my example from before. All righty. But oh, but I put it down here because. Uh, and have you been playing World of Warcraft and, and have you been playing World of Warcraft back in your video game days? So that's a mix of tenses, that's but I'm okay. sure they meant... Uh, did we play? Yes. we. I, actually, I talked about that a bit in the video. Um, our, let's see. We started out... I, I, I really wanted to play Ultima Online, but at the time I did not have a computer fast enough to run it. But we did. I did start playing EverQuest with co-workers, and I have no idea how Jen got roped into it. How did, why did you start playing? I'm
2: it? sure you wanted me to play with you.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's true. We were always looking for games to play together.
2: Yeah.
0: And, but I mean, Yeah, Jen- because
2: there was Rado and Jennifer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that time.
0: hmm So you, I mean, and. Uh,
2: you had your cleric and I had my uh, wood elf. Oh, that's right. I, I had a, I we, we had
0: two was. full computers because this is before we had laptops. Yeah. you had the main one and I had the other one where David sat in the, in the oh, corner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember, geez louise. Uh, memories. Before laptops were so Cheap, relatively cheap and easy to get.
1: Yeah.
0: Um so you came in just because I was playing it so much and you wanted to give it a try. Yeah. And then Jen got addicted to it. Yeah. I I would say I would say literally, I mean you Oh, what's my guild doing tonight? I gotta keep up, you know, and I gotta, you know, subscribe to the email list and yeah. and and I eventually got burned out, and Jen was not. No. And it actually created some friction for us for a while. That like, can't oh. we just go watch a show or something? Do you always have to hang out with the Sylvan Rangers every freaking night for five hours? I mean, Jen really got. And it's it. interesting because you have that whole inner ear thing that makes you.
2: Not like mm, yeah,
0: very think. uncomfortable with three D games. So when Jen was playing it, she would literally, if her character turned, she would. You got into the habit. Or I watched you. You would turn your head so that your body was tricked into thinking, oh no no, don't, there's no disconnect here. Really? The camera view. Yeah you, yeah yeah. I don't know. I, I always thought you were doing it on purpose. No. But no, you were you were doing this kind of stuff while you were playing. <laughs> like a snake
2: oh my gosh that must look stupid yeah well i mean
0: i, I knew why you were doing it <laughs> um
2: well you let me play in public
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean i don't think i ever played in public Didn't actually we no, that's not true we, we did. did there it's were a few times Seattle. when we were on the road yeah. and we would say hey let's go down to a remember internet cafes were a thing once upon a time we'd go down to the internet cafe and log in and play some everquest because jen was so addicted I'm like okay we'll play some everquest Apparently here a we a- could be doing lots of other things in this
2: city no. let's
0: play some everquest yep so jen really got hooked hard was i
2: doing that in I must have.
0: Oh God! I don't know. I don't know.
2: Okay.
0: Um, But uh, I mean, I didn't even think twice about it. I let's see. And then I switched over to Asheron's Call, and I was playing that because I honestly I thought that was a better, more um, innovative game. It did a lot more interesting stuff, even if it was ugly as. It was really ugly but it was a better game so Jen eventually tried to join me and your main friend from the Sylvan Rangers who's become like your best friend in real life too yeah uh, doesn't even refer to him by his real name calls him his EverQuest name F.O. which was uh, short for he was a forward observer so he was F.O. and Jen still calls him F.O. to this day they chat all the time um, and so you and F.O. followed me into our call and then we went into Dark Age of Camelot for a while and then finally we went over to World of Warcraft and I think we probably did six or eight months in World of Warcraft, and I don't know why we stopped. I mean, I th- I was definitely done, uh, and I don't know why you and Efo stopped though.
2: I think I was just tired of sitting at a computer for so many hours. At a yeah. you know, because yeah. also I was a graphic designer at the time, so I sat at the computer yeah, yeah, for yeah. work, and then I sat at the computer for hours at night.
1: Yep.
0: So that was our MMO story, and we got out of WoW and never went back to anything. righty. Ethan.
2: But part of part of what was so great about EverQuest was the Sylvan Rangers. I felt like I had a community there. I had people I yeah. could play with. Yep. I had developed my character to be simpatico with
0: what mm-hmm. the guild yeah. needed. You, you, you filled a certain role yep. on raids and all that yep. stuff.
2: I knew my place. I had, a, yeah, I had a, a spot in the community. She
0: was in a cult. <laughs> a good
2: cult, though. We were all doing good stuff. We were the Sylvan Rangers.
0: Exactly, yeah. We were helping people. <laughs> Apparently, after you left, there was some controversy and...
2: I heard a little bit about yeah, that, but that was already happened, out. So. But, yeah, yep. but
0: she, was in the, she was in the early days when the Silver Rangers were a force for good, I guess. I don't know.
2: Well, then I left, you see, and it went... And it
0: down. all fell there apart, yep. Alrighty, um, let's see. And then Ethan, I'm um, sorry, we're, I, I should have rearranged these. We're ending on a downer. Ethan wants to know, how oh. have we dealt with the grief of losing pets? Uh, Ethan's uh, dog is 12 years old and um, has a few years uh, left. So, <laughs> sorry, Honey Pie, that was a lot of fun. Let's really bring it down. I don't know. I don't really have a good answer for that. It's just going to hurt. It's just yeah. going to sock you in the gut so hard. I remember um, when Scuttle died. Uh, I was struck by how it physically hurt, and I felt like my heart literally hurt.
2: And I, I'm not even. I'm not going to go there. I don't want my whole day to go. Down yeah, I, I don't. I don't. So. There, there's
0: just. There's nothing you do. There's yeah. nothing you prepare. You just know it's going to happen, yep. and you just have to focus on. all And the you're good.
2: grateful that you had. The 12 or 15 or whatever years you get with them, and, and you just have to keep that in mind. Yeah. And love them so much as they get older and they start failing because they just need your love so much then, even more than.
1: Yep, okay.
0: Sylvan <laughs> Rangers, okay. Um Hey, Honey Pie, it's time for your words of wisdom. Oh, like right. I said, I really shouldn't have put that at the end. Sorry about that. Honey Pie, what's your words of wisdom for the month?
2: You've got it. I send it to you already. Yes, I know. It's on screen. You do it.
0: Jen's words of wisdom which she cannot bring herself to say because somebody just reminded her that dogs die that wasn't cool, man but yeah, uh, just make the best of the time you got Um, anyway, uh, you fall in love with the people who make you love the person that you are when you're around them read that again and I need to, because that was a mouthful you fall in love with the people who make you love the person that you are when you're around them
2: Yep. alright I think that's really amazing because if you don't like somebody, it's because they're, you don't like who you are when you're with them.
0: Okay. All right. Strong so words.
2: That's an interesting thing and something to reflect on in all of your relationships.
0: Okay. Um, and then, uh, folks, we're done. But now, there were a few dog pictures. Oh gosh, thank goodness! um, Yeah, we're gonna end on some positive dog stuff. And if you're listening, you don't get to see them. But as always, there's a link, and if you're on the podcast, there's a link to this video. I used to put all the dog pictures at dogs.rodo.com, but now that I'm just putting them at the end, it's very easy just to skip to the dog portion of the video on YouTube. So you can see the dog pictures. There are only a few. Folks, more dog pictures! Please. Um, but otherwise, uh, thanks for oh, and watching cats, and listening. And cats. And cats. And
2: guinea pigs. And guinea pigs. And parrots and whatever you got. Yep. yep whatever yep, you yep. love, we want to see it.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, and thanks for watching. Talk to you later. So long. Bye bye. And now to the dogs. All righty. First of all, um, although I forgot, it's a sad one. Uh, this is uh, the late Aiden. 13 great years lost them two months ago.
2: Oh, he's lovely. Oh. I know. Oh. Gosh, he's beautiful.
0: And then, as always, Charlie and Sky are back once more. Oh, thank more.
2: goodness, Charlie <laughs> and Sky. Oh, beautiful, Charlie sharks.
0: and Sky are doing okay. Uh, wow. Thank you, Nigel. I swear, Nigel, you keep saying these in. You're gonna basically program Jen to get a, a lab
1: because uh, <laughs> these are
0: very photogenic dogs. They are. Beautiful. Or you're just an incredible photographer. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. Where was the shot taken? It's, uh, it's incredible.
2: Well, there's this.
0: All right, you want to try and uh, Google? image search it and then figure out what this rock with E-S-K and probably some other letter is. It's a mystery. Yeah. All right. Uh, Okay, folks. Uh, Waterworks are over once again. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later.
1: Bye. So long. Uh, (laughs) Bye-bye.